2002 for me was a really big year. Returning from an injury in 2001 that they said I would probably never come back from when I tore my quad. The stakes cannot be higher. Who's going to WrestleMania? Entering the Rumble and having a moment where your number comes up. Oh my God! And you're walking to the ring against Stone Cold Steve Austin was just an epic moment that I'll never forget. It's all about playing the game! To be the one that goes on to main event WrestleMania. That's a position that very few ever get to be in. It's exploded and eliminates Mr. Perfect. It's down to Triple H and Kurt Angle. You know, when you're in those moments, your entire career is hanging on by a hand on the top rope. Kurt, turn around, you didn't win yet. Angle and Triple That moment where you do have that Royal Rumble win. That's a moment in your career when you realize you have reached a pinnacle. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Wrestling Adventure on postwrestling.com and I'm Martin Bushby and joining me as always is Andrew Thompson and Andrew, it's a new year, how's it going? Did you have a good festive period and all that stuff? Uh, th- things have been going smooth in, in the new year, my man. Martin, it's good to be back doing the podcast. How, how are you good, sir? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, it was a... It was a it's a weird, but um, but nice Christmas, sort of like just relaxing and things, you know, a bit weird not getting to hang out with the family this year, you know, doing a load of things on Zoom and that's so a bit weird, but still some good time away from work. But, um, you know, um, we've got a couple of guests with us this week, haven't we? Yeah, yes, we do. And uh, as everybody who's listening to this right now, as you know, we are covering uh, the 2002 WWE Royal Rumble pay-per-view, but we are not doing this alone. Uh, first up, uh, joining the podcast is go around. This man is a writer over at the Wrestling Estate website. He is a contributor for Daily DDT, a radio show host, Temple University graduate, man, the, the successful brother right here, Chad, Chad Gelfin. Chad, what's going on, Chief? Uh, the whole resume. Thank you. How's it going? How's it going? Uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate you uh, joining us, man. And uh, next up, of course, uh, next up on the plate, we have a political science professor, uh, California bred man, host of the Power Dynamics podcast. He used to be a writer for Breach Report for a period of time. He is also a radio host and my fellow pa uncle, along with Nate Milton. This is Chris Ely. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that was a great introduction. I appreciate that. There we go. There we go. Martin, take the reins, my brother. <laughs> One one thing that Andrew did forget in his intro that Chris hosted uh, my personal favorite podcast of 2020, in my opinion, uh, reviewing the WCW Slam. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> simply the best. Uh, I mean, that was a yeah. cracking show. That one, Chris. Ah, uh, thanks. I appreciate it, man. I yeah, that was like I didn't want to do um, the reviews, you know, like the normal reviews. I was like, what? I got to do something that um, I, I can sit through again. And, you know, and this CD is something that me and Nate have conversed about like a lot over the years. So, yeah, definitely go and check that one out if you haven't yet. But um, while we're all, <laughs> all gathered here, um, Chad, how did your fandom start? And how did you start writing for sort of like daily, daily DDT and things like that? Well, and Andrew mentioned in the intro. Well, my fandom. The earliest pay-per-view I remember seeing Asian 2001. So, like, around this time period that we're reviewing, that's when, like, a fandom really kicked off. And then in about 
2018, I started writing for the Preston State. And then in end of actually March 2020, I started writing for Daily DVD. And yeah, been going from there. Oh, cool. Um, what about you, Chris? How did you, when did you first start watching wrestling and sort of like talking about it and writing about it? Um, I really can't even state like when I started watching wrestling because it just seems like something that's always been around. Like um, when I was a kid, my uncle used to watch like old NWA stuff and like, you know, WWF stuff like Bruno San Martino and stuff. So um, I actually remember like watching the first WrestleMania. That's one of my earliest memories of wrestling. I didn't really know a lot what was going on. I just remember liking Hulk Hogan. Um, and then <clears throat> like all that NWA stuff too, back from back in the day, I used to just, just love that. So it's good to see it on YouTube. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where my fandom started and it just kind of, grew from there and it's kind of waned over the last few years but AEW's kind of brought it back yeah I think we've all been in a similar position with it waning especially in terms of sort of like WWF WWE um, sort of things so it, it is good as Andrew noted at the top it is good to go back to a, a time when it was pretty good in 2002 but um, before we get into the wrestling I just wanted to set the scene 2002 uh... hello Top hell of a year, man. You what, sorry? <laughs> I say, I say, hell of a year for the music, 2002. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had uh, Without <laughs> Me, Eminem, <laughs> Like I Love You, yeah. Timberlake, Hot In Here by Nelly, which has had a big resurgence thanks to TikTok. Um, <laughs> a moment like this by Kelly Clarkson and Dirty by Christina Aguilera were the uh, big songs of that year. I remember going out clubbing a lot during that time. That Dirty song was absolutely up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I remember that too, yeah. I say, man, that, that 2002 year had hella classics in 2002. I think, uh, what, what was that song by uh, by Manny Fresh and Birdman? I think it was uh, Steel Fly that came out in 02. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I remember that. <laughs> and then what was that? What was that beat that everybody used to do in the school lunch table? Um, oh, the grinding beat? Grind, grind, yes, that, that came out in 2002. Yeah. Dude, like up to like, two thousand two, that that was a real solid year, man, for everything. And I, I know, uh, I know Martin uh, also like kind of transitions into kind of like the uh, the pop culture thing, like going to be kind of a lead into it. There was a lot of good movies in uh, two thousand two as well, Martin. Oh yeah, I mean we had a uh, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Minority Report. I think even my big <coughs> wedding was the uh, big film of that year. Um, Andrew, I know you were a young lad around this time. It was Harry Potter something you were into. I, I wasn't into it back then. I would say I got it to start like watching the Harry Potter movies like over the past several years. I I, I just wasn't interested back then. But now, I, like now that I've seen them, I was like these movies are like really decent. But like it, it was like like the movies that I'm thinking about like 2002, bro. Like it was like uh, I, I don't think Head of State came back came out of 2002, but I know like uh, like Mike was out uh, Friday oh, after yeah fr- Friday Friday after next was out uh, all about the Benjamins. Um, did did, did Paid in Full come out in 2002? I think I so. That's the one with with uh, Cameron, right? Or yeah. um, uh, oh, okay, um, yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 came out of, uh in 2002. Dude, I, 2002 was like one of the most low key best years for like pop culture and music and stuff like that. Hey, Chad, I was going to ask you, like, Chad, if you if you had to choose between uh Friday at the Next and All About the Benjamins, one one of them you you, you can never watch again. Which one do you choose? 
Mm. I do love Friday, so I'm gonna have to go with Friday after next. There you go. What about you, Chris? Um, which you said, which one I wouldn't need to uh, watch again? Yeah, the, the the one that you couldn't watch again, Friday at the next, or uh, all about the benches. Basically, asking you to choose your favorite out of the two. Oh, all about the benches. I hate it Friday after next. Oh, man. Um, I, I just that was that's my least favorite of the Fridays. Um, I just, I just didn't get it. You know, a ghetto Santa running around the hood. Um. That just, that just wouldn't make in Los Angeles. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of a little close to the situation. So I don't know. Martin, I, th- I think it's time we take Chris off the call already, man. He, he, Chris, <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris starting already. He's starting already. Yeah, really embarrassing. But I've never seen the other Fridays. But I remember in school, me and all my friends used to wear. Uh, we had exams around the time, so we had a lot of free time. So we'd all uh, nip round to my friend's house, smoke a bit of dope, and watch Friday and uh, a menace to society and all things. <laughs> I think you know. Oh yeah, menace. Guy. Yeah, <laughs> menace to society. I fuck with. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 did, I did not know this information, man. I'm, I'm shocked right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole, whole other life, man. I cannot believe it. I, I'm like genuinely shocked by this information right now, Martin. I can't believe it, bro. Yeah, oh my god! They were the ones that got uh, yeah rewound all the time. Yeah, all, the, all those sorts of films. I never quite caught the other ones though. But yeah, I always seem to remember enjoying Friday. And what was the one with Method Man and Red Man? That was uh, on those. Uh, oh, how high! So how high! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that, hilarious. Yeah. That, that that movie is legit great. One one of the greatest yeah. of all time, right there. Did you guys ever see uh, Undercover Brother? I think that came out in 2000. Yeah, I and saw that. Yeah, that film. was that was funny. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of my favorite movies when I was little. Yeah, I probably should not have been watching it, but it was one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that's like peak Denise Richards, right? Would, would that be peak De- yeah, Denise Richards or like Wild Things? Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably peak Denise Richards. Yeah. But um, I suppose moving away to, from movies and on to sports, uh, Lakers swept the New Jersey Nets to win the NBA title. Um, the uh, the Anaheim Angels, as they're known as the time, beat the San Francisco Giants to the World Series. Uh, the Patriots, unsurprisingly, won the Super Bowl, and Arsenal won the Premier League. So, uh, Chad, any big sporting memories around from this time? Are you are you a big American football fan, or are you a, are you a basketball fan, or anything? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Eagles fan, so I think this is the, the first year that they lost in the NFC Championship game. The first of three straight losses in the NFC Championship game. So, so th- th- it's it's kind of hazy because I was I was younger here, but like even like going back and watching it, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is when the Lakers Lakers were uh, dominating as well, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, this was this was when. Uh, but, but was it? This the like this was definitely towards the end of the Shaq and Kobe, you know, uh, Shaq and Kobe area. I mean, era, but like they they were like dominating for like four years straight, five years straight in the NBA. So and, and, and like ironically enough, um, what was this? Uh, the the day we're recording this on the uh, on the twenty seventh, it was yesterday. Uh, was the one year anniversary that Kobe passed away? So and I I can't believe like time is like just flown by like that. It's crazy how things just like how time just keeps moving like that, man. 
Right, man. It felt like I was never going to get out of last year with the, the Kobe thing because I was I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan, huge Shaq fan. Um, I remember that champion. That was the second of the three peaks. So that was um, in 2002. Um, just a very um, good year for the Lakers. I'm not. A, I'm a Dodgers fan, but um, the Angels. Um, I um, I've always respected them. I've never like, and I was happy when they won that year too. That those uh, those those are the things that stick out to me the most. Um, I definitely uh, just just remember, you know, th- there was a debate in, in um, that year too in the uh, finals who should have got the MVP, um, Kobe or Shaq, because that was the, I still think Shaq was a bright person to get it, but Kobe came like the closest to getting it, you know. Mm. Was that the start of like the beef between the two? Kobe and Shaq, that was it. Like the, was it that Finals MVP decided who got yeah. credit for? It? I think it was. I think their beef started when the minute they joined the team together. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think I think that was kind of like it was mounting, building up to 2004 when they had the um, the breakup, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like for real, for real, with the Shaq and Kobe thing, I think it was more so. And, and like I mean, maybe it could have been more so between them, but I think that maybe even be more media generated because you know when, when you start winning multiple rings with one individual who's also a superstar, you know that those, those talks come about of who who's really leading the charge of this thing, and if one were to leave, would the other one be able to suffice? You know, without the other, and like that's probably how that thing kept growing and growing. And I'm pretty sure it didn't help the date. You know, I mean, I mean, but it, it just goes to show you, like, especially with sports, like you, you don't really need to like somebody to go put in work and, you know, they did it. And I mean, I, like, I think we all seen that they kind of, uh, you know, they, they they repaired their relationship over the years and got everything all sorted out. But it, it is like an interesting dynamic, like knowing you know, publicly that they didn't really get along, but was able to like accomplish so much. And like just throwing about to like, the wrestling, too, like, you see that with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, like mm. they have some of the best matches yeah. together. And despise each other, so like it, it's interesting that like competitive yeah. fire. I think that's all you need to have in common, really. Is that the same competitiveness, mm-hmm. right? I agree. I agree. Like even like with with something like um, Sex in the City, with the with them not liking uh, the the old uh, woman on that show. What's her name? Uh, Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker not getting along, but they still. Um, at least the show, I thought the show was decent. I didn't like the movies, but you know, the, the fact that they found ways to get along, not liking each other, um, is, is always, you know, interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I, I don't, you know, get on with everyone I work with, but you know, we work together to get the job done. I think that's how it's done in most places, isn't it? You can't get on with everybody, but, um, yeah, anyway. On to now we've set the scene, 2002, uh, WWE in uh, 2001, obviously a hugely successful year for them financially, but, um, you know, the invasion angle, um, you know, widely seen as one of the biggest misfires in wrestling history, um, all the WCW big guns sitting out there, Time Warner contracts at home, uh, my mm-hmm. man's over everything, and a variety of other things, you know, meant it was... Terrible time critically for the company, you know, having blown off the invasion angle at Survivor Series, Chris Jericho... 
went on to win the unified WCW and WF titles at the final pay-per-view of 2001 Vengeance. Um, I just want to get you guys quick thoughts on, on the invade, because it's obviously derided by fans, but, you know, the whole invasion angle they did and, and how it comes across these days. But, Andrew, have you had a chance to go, wa- go back and watch sort of like um, that whole invasion angle they did in 2001? So the the invasion angle, like uh, like the, the first when I immediately hear that, I think of this story um, that I heard. I think it was from Lance Storm when he said that uh, the, the, the WCW guys were supposed to uh, make an appearance, like on like in like an in ring appearance at uh, the WrestleMania, um, the the one in two thousand and one. I, I I think though it was yeah I think it was two thousand and one. It was that WrestleMania. What was that the one in the mm-hmm. Astro Dome in Texas? Yeah. Yeah, that they were yeah, supposed to make an appearance, and uh, Sean Stasiak did a ra- did a radio interview and stooged off that that that, that they were going to be there, and, and Vince McMahon was just like livid and like just completely scrapped that whole segment and then put them and then that's why they were up in the stands. Uh, <laughs> that's why they got shot because he stooged it off. So like I I'll, like that 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 just like whenever I, I hear down, <laughs> whenever I hear the invasion angle, that's like the first thing, and I feel like. Once that whole interview thing happened, like Vincent Man was just like, "I'm done." Like, you know, it, that, that's it. No, 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 no more of these. At that, WCW WrestleMania, at that WrestleMania, they had him like up in the bleachers, yeah. and then Shay cuts to him, and it says WCW wrestlers, and they're like, just they're looking bored as hell, man. I and I didn't even know <laughs> it wasn't a close-up job. It was like. It was like far away. I don't think they like zoomed in to like the box. It's <laughs> even all there. That was so hilarious, man. It's sad too. Oh yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's like you said, they were so far up they couldn't even get the uh, camera to zoom up all the way up there. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that I suppose going to you, Chad, you said the Invasion pay-per-view was one of the first ones you watched. Um, have you got m- m- many memories of the sort of like Invasion angle and, uh, and your thoughts on it, you know, going back now, watching it as, a, as an older person? I, I feel like, like I probably like look upon this era like more with like rose-colored glasses because mm-hmm. this is like when I first started to like <laughs> fall in love with wrestling. But, but I think it, it still does have some like good elements to it. Like I remember... I remember uh, Freddie Blast, he did, like, a big, like, locker room speech. This is at the very beginning of the invasion for the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And he's just, like, getting everybody to, like, get up and fight the WCW guys. And they have, like, a big, like, street fight. And then it leads to, like, Stone Cold, like, coming back and then, like, kicking everybody's ass. Like, I think that's, like, one of, like, probably, like, the most, like, famous clip from the invasion. So, like, it had some good elements. But then, obviously, like, you just look at, like, the, the WCW and ECW. Survivor Series team at the end, like who was on that team to see like how it failed. You have you have Big Show, Shane McMahon, Kurt Angle for some reason is on the team. Like it, it, I think WWE cost himself a lot of money by not shelling out the money on the front end to get these guys out of those time warner contracts and get them involved in the angle. Yeah, I think that was the main thing, wasn't it, Chris? That they didn't have any of the sort of like big guns to uh, sort of like pull this thing forward. Yeah, it was like real, real. Just it made no sense. You, you, you had a lot of the guys that, like, you had Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page and and, Mar- and Marcus Bagwell too. But then you know the other WCW wrestlers were like kind of came on board during the dying time of WCW, where if you weren't 
watching WCW regularly, you didn't even know who they were. So you really did need, you know, Sting, Goldberg, Luger, you know, all those cats and stuff. And, and there's some great stories to tell with those guys too. Like Luger left uh, <laughs> WWE um, after, you know, you know, I guess promising that he was going to um, be a, be, you know, resign or whatever. So there was a story there you could have told, and it was just a lot of pettiness. Um, and um, I, I didn't like it when they added the ECW guys to it. It, it made no sense to me because you, those guys had already been indoctrinated into either WCW or WWE for the greater part of the last, you know, eight months or so. Um, it, I really think it should have stayed WWE and WCW. Um, but I mean, if, if you were coming into that for the first time and watching it, I guess it would have been okay. Um, I think if you, if you were a fan of WCW like myself, and then that's what you were given, you, you'd be sorely disappointed. It was watchable television. I just don't think it was what it could have been. No, definitely. And I think they quickly realized that when they sort of like quickly blew it off at Survivor Series. And then it was kind of safe to say, I think around um, this early 2002 period, we were in the dying embers of the Attitude Era. There's a lot of talent still around, but the company's trying to move in a, in a variety of different directions. Obviously, before the Rumble, we had this uh, huge Madison Square Garden Raw to kickstart 2002 with a, a thunderous reaction when Triple H returns looking bigger than ever after uh, he comes <laughs> off with a, a torn quadricep. And, no, uh, was, I mean, that must be one of the biggest pops of all time uh, there for Triple H, Andrew, especially Madison Square Garden. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, Jer- I, mean, I was about to say jerk. I don't know. See, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to attack already. <laughs> but, uh, like, like, no, but uh, yeah, that, this was definitely one of the bigger moments, if not the... I, I would say this was definitely a career highlight right here for Triple H to get the reaction that he did. It, it kind of showed that, you know, the people definitely missed him. And w- when was the last time he was... Uh, I, I know the Royal Rumble, that the Royal Rumble recovering was the first time he wrestled since his injury, but when was that was like in March or May of 2001 that he got hurt, right? Or well, it was like yeah, around right. that around yeah. that period of time. So yeah, so yeah, yeah the, to see the reaction that he got, I, I, and, and it's it's crazy because that crowd reaction kind of still holds up uh, when we're talking about some of the biggest uh, pops of all time in, in terms of WWE. That so, so Triple H definitely had a career highlight moment right there. It was just like how sustained it was too, because it, it like the second he came out on stage, and then he had a long entrance too. And then, mm-hmm. just like the even after there's music stopped and there's still cheering for him, it, it was just it was it was like a five minute long sustained reaction. Like I didn't see anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Chris, I think uh, safe to say Triple H have been hitting the gym hard and saying his prayers and eating his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, I I don't know what Triple H was was taking. I guess Stacker Two was one of their sponsors during their time. <laughs> Um, let's just say he was taking a lot of it, um, because my God, man, this guy just, he did not look human. Um, it, it, it was just, you, you look at that and you, you're like, it's, it's kind well, I don't want to name drop anybody, but, um, 
Yeah, he he was looking nuts, dude. <laughs> yeah, so. something like serum that Captain America the yeah, first yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, that's when he was auditioning for that and trying to get that role. Oh, he's trying to be Thor. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to be Thor, right? Um, and then um, the studio went a completely def- a different direction, like some years later. So now this was this wouldn't have been during that time, but yeah, yeah I think that was done some, some. Yeah, yeah, a few years later. So um, onto the rumble itself, uh, held on January the twentieth at the Phillips Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, home of the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, just over six thousand in the building. A uh, really good crowd. A uh, crowd really hot all night. I thought for most of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, can- yeah, that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm. That's all right. Uh, and obviously, kickstart. We've got Jr. and Jerry Lawler on commentary. And uh, first matchup is Spike Dudley and Taz against the Dudley Boys. Uh, Spike and Taz are the tag champs here. Uh, Stacey Kleber uh, accompanies Dudley Boys to the ring with Lola drooling all over the place here. Um, very short match, I thought. Dudley's dominated Spike for most of it before Taz picked up the win, making Devon tap to the Taz mission. And uh, Andrew, uh, quick thoughts on this uh, on this first match here. Yeah, so so before so before we uh before we get into the match, Mart, I, I I gotta mention, bro, this intro that like their intro to the pay per view, this was great. Like I, I'm, oh I'm a big I, I, I'm a big I'm a big <laughs> fan of the uh, the video packages, like and especially them, because like, I, I know that um that scenery that they used that was what um that that was what they used to kind of shoot some of the extra footage for, like I think like a. a one of the packages for Pat Patterson when he uh, when he was sitting in the it like he was sitting in the bleachers and it was like a, a black and gray type scenery for the Royal Rumble. It was like one of those type of things, but it but it didn't make this uh this cut that they put out. But this this whole intro that they did for the Royal Rumble was was, was fantastic. I'm a big fan of that. And then uh like another thing that I like, I wanted to ask Chad like what would like uh, immediately when I saw the stage setup, I was like I, I miss when they would like go the extra mile to try to like recreate or, or create something that looked special for pay-per-view. Cause it, it just added so much to it. Like it made it feel like a legit pay-per-view. Like I was going to ask you, Chad, like h- how much do you think if WWE were to like implement something like that today, like how it would, how, how much it would add to the overall feel of their pay-per-view as opposed to just feeling like, Oh, you know, this is a elimination chamber or this is a fast lane or like make it actually feel like a, like a pay-per-view. Do you think that would help much? Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think like the little things like go a long way. Like, like just the, the stage setup makes it feel special. It makes each individual paper feel special. Like with, I feel like the LED heavy design that that we've been going with for the mm-hmm. past like five six years. Like I feel like it it makes like a lot of pay per views and TV like kind of blend together. Mm-hmm. Like can't really like uh, like besides like WrestleMania, like you can't really like pick out like a special stage or this or you can't like you like, you remember sets from this time period like yeah. there's no no unique set and i feel like that 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 goes a long way to to just like add to the atmosphere of the show mm-hmm. and like uh like a, one thing that kind of comes to mind immediately when you talk about sets I think we all remember the uh, the backlash 2002 set when they had to swing. They had oh, to swing and uh, dude, that, dude, that was so that was so cool, bro. Like that, <laughs> like that, that is. But but I can imagine like that got to be hell for the people that actually got to set it up and then take it down and then next you know you got to probably uh, you got to set the unique stage up uh, back again for the following oh, yeah. night on, on on Raw and stuff. So I, I'm, I mean I see why they probably did that just to take it easy on mm-hmm. them. But like I Martin uh, said, like going back to the match, um, 
Like I, I think one of the immediate things and I know uh, Chris and Chad was both going to get into this was uh, Jerry Lawler's uh, his remarks about Stacey Keebler that will not hold up well today in the slightest. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then uh, I, I, it was one spot during this match that I really did like. It was uh, when Devon and Bubba when they when they caught Taz off the outside and they hit him with the the, uh, the neck breaker because like I I don't know why and it, I'm making a fool of myself right now, but I remember I used to um I used to set my pillow up on my dresser when I was a kid and I would like imitate this spot because I had this this uh thing on DVD. I'm talking about I would take the meanest back bumps on the carpet like and I, i'm telling and I think, I, I, I think i think that's why my back so messed up now like why why it's so tore up now because i'm telling i used to take like hard bumps like off that neck breaker trying to uh be a be a, a fourth deadly boy i think we were all the same andrew yeah as kids that was, yeah, we had a, a concrete playground at my school and people used to get pile drived on that and jesus <laughs> God damn, Mark! What the? <laughs> they, they take a power drivers or concrete? I was, I was going that hard. Oh yeah, we were hardcore over here doing that shit. But, uh, yeah, where I've got a bad back and a bad neck and all sorts of. On to the match. Um, it's weird with this one because obviously, I think obviously the Dudleys are most well known, aren't they, for those TLC matches and things like that with the Hardys and that. But um, I suppose, Chris, wh- where do you rate the Dudleys as a team? Because they never seem to work out that well together in WWF as uh, separate entities, and you know, it always seems to be them just as a tag team. But where do you sort of like rate the Dudleys as a as a tag team? Um, I'd put them in my top 10, probably not top five, but definitely top 10. I thought, um, they had, um, I mean, I like the concept, the original concept in ECW with this guy and, you know, all these different Dudleys, you know, big Dick Dudley, Dudley, Dudley and all that stuff. And in WWE, um, I, I, I did like, um, like them actually about this time period i actually liked stacy keebler with them for the time she was with them and of course they had to go and you know do some domestic violence type crap to her but um i thought that she did kind of flavor them up a little bit um and i thought like it was weird with stacy keebler because i thought that she always worked well with any like makeshift guys she threw her with they you they threw her with but i don't think tori wilson had kind of the same um thing that stacy keebler had like tori wilson like you could all you could like see a guy get markedly worse when they added her with him but i don't think stacy had that same effect i could be in the minority but the match itself was great i thought it was well not great let's that's that's a lie um it was, it was good. It was decent, yeah. It's uh, a good opener, weren't it, for this crowd just to get them into it and sort of like get the turnstiles heated up. I think. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was. I, I, it started off bad too. Like at the spot that Andrew talked about, that happened within like the first like, ten seconds. They get mm-hmm. they gave Taz that like neck breaker onto the floor of the outside. Like, oh. <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, Chad, like when you. Like I, I did want to like kind of get a discussion going about Taz because like that I remember they gave him a high tag and he came in dude and I I, oh, I legit dude, I I legit forgot how 
great of a wrestler Taz was. And like when I see mm-hmm. when I see him now, I'm like when I see him in this, you know, in this match, I'm like, dude, Ch- Taz was like he he was like really, really good. And I, I think probably the only thing that was like legit against him was his size. And like we've seen over the years and heard a different podcast from people that work with him, like Jim Ross and Bruce Pritchard, like that was like uh, assumingly the reason why Taz didn't, you know, achieve a higher level of success in WWE, even though he did have a, a, a solid career there. But like I was just going to ask you, Chad, like. With like when when you look at the career of Taz in WWE specifically, like do you do do you kind of view it as a successful one, or do you always think there was just more for Taz to do? But it was he just kind of you know was just in the wrong the wrong era because like we see now we got guys like AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan that's like five eight five seven, Adam Cole, you know the those guys are similar who are not of big stature, but they are like have reached the highest levels of success in WWE. I think like as as a wrestler, I feel like he didn't achieve. Uh, what all didn't reach potential fully, but I think part of that too would have been like injuries because, like, a couple years after he debuts, he's like a full time announcer, mm. and I don't think he yeah. wrestles like a match. Like, I don't think he's wrestled a full match since then. So yeah, uh, can so, I, I want to piggyback off of this too after Chad? Um, because because I I think what Taz in WWE. He was a self-preservationalist, right? Like, I think he saw the writing on his on the wall as far as what they thought of him as a wrestler. So mm-hmm. when he got the opportunity to be a commentator, he fully embraced it. I remember on that one show they used to do Confidential, and they did a whole piece on his transition to commentary. And he sounded like the most elated guy on the planet doing that he was like yeah i don't have to wrestle all the time i like and and it's and it's weird how some guys even guys that are good at it they take to it but they still have that urge to get back to wrestling and taz just see like what's what's that what's he got a chance to commentate he's like yo i'm done with this wrestling shit (laughs) and i think too like because he broke his neck but the early nineties, mid nineties. So like that, that's like, you probably knew he was wrestling on, on bar time as he <clears throat> now he gets an opportunity where he could be on television in a main role for like 10, 15, 20 years, just doing commentary if he wanted to. And he was great at it too. I think Cass is actually one of the greatest like wrestling commentators of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's brought much whole. Like I think they're one of like the best uh, duos that they've yeah, been around. Like, yeah, I agree too. Like a lot of flack, but him and Taz had great chemistry with each other. It's like bouncing off. I don't think Taz even like played a heel really when he was on. He he said some like heel, heelish things, but like he pretty much called it like like pretty fa- pretty fairly like on SmackDown. So yeah, Taz has one one of the ghosts. Mm-hmm. I think it was his size that always let him down because he came into WWE quite hot, didn't he? You know, he had a, a real great sort of mm. debut and everything. And then it obviously, a guy that size is never going to get over in the sort of like, you know, Vince McMahon's eyes, is he? And I think he, you know, it was a shame because he did come in with a, you know, he had that rep from ECW and he had some decent matches in ECW. But yeah, and then it was all sort of downhill after his uh, after his debut, wasn't it really? And he was in sort of like just openers like this. I think it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they came in with with that mm-hmm. thought that he's not going to get over because of his height. But like when he when he came out 
at, at the Royal Rumble in 2000, like, the place exploded. Mm. Like everybody, everybody knew as was. Everybody was excited to see him. And then, and then, what's he doing at WrestleMania that year? He's just in like that, like 15 person like hardcore uh, pedal match. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think. I, I <laughs> think Chad. I think we're. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies from WWE on this show. Uh, so I think you're on to something. So, so next up, we had uh, Edge against William Regal for the uh, Intercontinental Championship. Um, and these two have been feuding since Vengeance in 2001 with, uh, I think it was Regal repeatedly using brass knuckles on Edge. And then... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the power of the punch. The power of the punch. With the brass but it, that, that, that brass nugs, man, that, that that was like one of the, the, the highlights for me uh, in the SmackDown Shut yeah. Your Mouth game. Yeah. Martin, I was going to ask you, man, like when you like look at the overall scope of William Regal's career and like seeing, like even factoring in what he's doing now more in the, um, I guess you could say talent relations slash talent scout side for uh, the NXT brand. Like, do you do you think Regal kind of gets like the credit he deserves for like legit being one of the best to come out of uh, the UK? Because I think Regal, like, I, I think I think that maybe this current generation, like even e- even my generation, myself and Chad's generation, like maybe we like we we still remember Regal from his days as an in ring performer, but we kind of look at him now as his. Well, we kind of view him as his current incarnation on screen. But like, do you think that Regal like has kind of got? The, do you think that he's kind of gotten the credit for like being one of the best to come out uh, to come out of the UK? Oh, I, uh, you're the, I'm, you're asking the wrong person here, Andrew, because um, I obviously respect Regal and you know what he's done and everything. But I just remember being a kid and watching these uh, snooze fests of TV <laughs> with Arn Anderson and the last of UCW, and I'm not being much. I probably appreciate it more now, but I just have that. <laughs> I, 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 I'll, 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 I'll take this one. <laughs> I do think that's hilarious. Oh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of WCW Saturday Night and all those boring ass segments. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I do think Regal is one of those guys that was always better than the push that he got. But it, but I think also he's one of those guys where you you can blame him for a lot of it. Um, it's not like because I do I remember some very like specific times in both WCW and WWE where it seemed like this guy was going to go to the next level, and then some drug thing would come up. And it will just kind of send them plummeting down, you know. So um, I think, you know, he kind of settled into where he was settling. I still think, I, 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 for by WWE standards, I'd definitely call it a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. And, and Martin, before... behind the scenes in WWE, that stuff, you know, where he was GM and they're sort of like pissing in the tea with Jericho and that. And, and, and Martin, I was gonna say, Martin, before we uh, before you get into the match, break it down. I was gonna ask you, like, uh, I, I'm on the start of a debate, and and, and, and you know what? I, I'm gonna just go ahead and say I'm right, because 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 if y'all got any different answers, I'm gonna just tell y'all y'all wrong. This was the best looking version of the Intercontinental Title. I don't want to hear no. Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. There, there, there we yeah. go, Chad. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Martin, yeah, what about you? 
Oh, I, I think it's a good one. I still go back to the sort of... Oh, here you go. Here you go. I like the classic look as well, but, you know, this, you know, this was fine. Yeah, what, yeah, this yeah, is the oval, the oval one, right? Yeah. Yeah, that what was the oval one. What do you think of the, the, the current title right now? Not a fan. Yeah. Not I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty ugly looking, actually. It's, it's not good, it's it doesn't doesn't remind me of like intercontinental championship like all this history just by like on first glance looking at. It. But it's like all, most of the WWE's titles, like all of them, like look the same. Like I I feel like they need to go back to the days of where titles actually like look different. Like now they got the um, what what, what do they call them? The the the, the quarter championship belts. Like when the like it's just yeah, a big yeah. a big round circle on it, like. Like even yeah, the, um, the penny belts, yeah, yeah, the penny belts. That's what they call them. And, uh, uh, and even even the women's titles, like it's no like difference between the two. It's just like one is red and one is blue, and like you know, it's like nothing special yeah, about it. Oh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, that's I, yeah. I, like I hated the the divas title with the butterfly and the you know, but at least it looked different. It you was know, different. that was the thing. Yeah, and even with the world titles, the the gold, the, the big gold belt, and then um, the WWE. So I think I do think they need to get rid of the the brand split altogether. It makes no effing sense anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that, Andrew. I think the um, the belts are kind of gone downhill. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, this match was okay, wasn't it? I mean, Regal won using the brass, brass knuckles on Edge and wins the title. Um, obviously, Edge and Christian had broken up in mid-2001, and they were clearly trying to go with Edge here. Um, I think it was a number of years oh. before he became a, a full main event, wasn't it, with the rated R gimmick? Um, I thought, wait, sort of some thoughts on Edge as, as singles from this sort of time period up until it became the rated R thing. Obviously, he had the tag team with Terry, and then he had the whole stuff on SmackDown and things like that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, what do you, what you thought, some of your thoughts, Andrew, on, on sort of like Edge um, around this time period? Because it always felt like watching at the time and then going back and watching this stuff that there might have been something missing. And I think, you know, obviously, you found that next level when he became the rated R character in the Matt Hardy feud. Uh, first of all, big, big, big shout out to you, Martin, for referring to uh, Redacted as Terry. Uh, we, <laughs> so, yeah, we, <laughs> big, big, big shout out to Martin Bushby. That, that's why this man is, is, is a co-host because he very, very proficient at these things. But yeah, uh, Edge, like, but it's crazy because you can actually kind of see like the progression of Edge, like as he starts to slowly uh, head into that main event. Slack because I I think he didn't really hit that stride until he won the Money in the Bank at the what was that WrestleMania 21 I think that was like I don't think he really right like, yeah I don't think he really started to cross over until then but like even in um the next year's World Rumble the 2003 World Rumble you can kind of start to see like his his ascension a little bit so like I think you spot on with as far as like you know him missing something but it, I think it you know it, it, everything kind of progressed gradually over the years and it wasn't rushed and everything kind of happened as it was as it was supposed to. Right. Um, I liked Christian a lot better during this time period than Edge. Um, not to say Edge was bad. I did like Edge during this time, but I just that that just that promo he cut before his match with Regal, I didn't think it was was great. He he has like these weird enunciations during this time where he where he's where during this promo he's like Regal wants to take it to the streets and just. I, I don't know. It just kind of 
didn't seem authentic to me, but um, nah, dude, you, I, know you what? could. I was about to say, yeah. you know what? It, it, he, I, I think he did sound authentic, but I think the thing is, you're so used to hearing Edge now in his current way. He sounds like a much more deeper voice, and he sounds more forceful. Yeah. But back then, this was young Edge. Dude sounded like a kid. You know what I'm saying? Like no, a you know, yeah. <laughs> like you, you hear? Yeah. Oh, you go ahead. You go ahead, Chad. You reminded me of uh, Matthew Willard, uh, Gaggy from Scooby Doo. That's, that's <laughs> what he, he reminded me of. Just like. It's like his face. It's like his whole like aura about him. He reminded me of of Shaggy. <laughs> he, he, he he just didn't have any bass in his voice. That's all that was. But like when you hear Edge now, you can tell like he's very like forceful with his promos and like he sounds like you know like you say he sounds like he could probably put hands on you if he wanted to. And then like with this yeah, current incarnation of Edge, it's like yeah, like I, I, like you just said, Chad, he's just more confident than he is you know than he was back then. There were some like some uh, commentary notes that have. Uh, that stuck out. Uh, what at one point Waller said, uh, "What's fair about another man putting his hand down your pants when uh, Dick Patrick took out the the brass knuckles from uh, Regal's trunks at the beginning of the match?" And then uh, Jr. responded, "He said, like, unless you're sick for your roid, it would be a little disconcerting." Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Uh, another one of those lines that uh, that doesn't hold up at all. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And by the way, there's tons of stuff like that with Lola, especially around this sort of like these last few years, and especially uh, with the Goldust stuff and things like that. Yeah, they were definitely. Uh, yeah, not you know they they're constantly tooting their own horn now about being inclusive and that. But yeah, you go back and look at some of this stuff, and it doesn't it doesn't hold up like you just said. But um. I suppose moving away from that match and on to the uh, women's title match, we had Trish Stratus oh. against Sorry, Andrew. Oh, no, I, I was going to cut in real quick. I was going to add, didn't Edge have, uh, he had neck surgery, not, I, not not too long after this, but it was like, I know he missed the following year's WrestleMania. I was wondering, like, uh, did anybody know, like, when that took place? Because, I like, it, it was like, oh, so one spot. Like, I know he was dealing with some neck yeah. problems. And I saw Regal give him like this. Regal gave him this nasty German oh, suplex, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like he, like Edge landed right on his neck. And the crazy thing about this was, like, yeah, he he did have the major neck surgery the following, the following year. And then, like, I remember when Regal gave him the uh, that suplex. Literally, it was a dude in the crowd audible, and I quote, he said, "Break his neck, Regal." I was like, bro, what? <laughs> he put that evil on him. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, bro, he he put that evil on him. And like, uh, like just another thing before we move on, like it was one funny, one funny thing that uh, that the one funny exchange that Lawler and Jr. had, like, um, when when Regal pulled the nuts out, and uh, J- Jr. was like, you you see the nuts, you see the nuts, and, and then uh, uh, King came and came in and was like, damn, what are you, Clark Kent? And he was like, "There's no nuts here." Like, this is like that. That was like that was probably like one of the one, probably like one of three funny things that they actually said during this uh during this break. Yeah, yeah, I remember that comment as well. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But um, I suppose moving on to the next match, we had a uh, Trish Stratus and Jazz uh, for the women's title. Jazz coming from ECW, I think she debuted at the previous Survivor Series. Um, pretty sure Divas match and okay for the time, considering some of the other Divas matches we had around this time period. But um. I think Trish had to find her stride here, and uh, I don't think not enough time for Jazz to showcase anything uh, what she was capable of, Chris. No, not yet. I, I got to say this about Jazz. Um, I liked her in the backdrop of all these other women on this show, 
Um, like Trish was starting to get good here. Um, and but all these other women, even uh, Jackie Moore, as tough as she is, um, they all have this like friendly face to them. Um, Jazz walks out and she looks like she's ready to knock a knock a sucker out, you know. She's she's not there for the games. She she just looks like she's all business and her face does like better promos than just half of the promos I hear today on WWE television. Just just her facial expression when she walked out to the ring looked like she was all about business. And then you had um uh what's um Jackie come out in the referee thing and of course she's wearing the um got the 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 top with her with her uh with her knockers all out. And of course, uh, <laughs> Lawler is lost, losing his mind the whole match. And that really did take away from, from what, what, what this match should have been, you know? Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Just completely different to also like the quote unquote swimsuit models he had around this time period, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, I, I did want to, uh, yeah, but, but, yeah, going back over jazz, like, uh, she she definitely is like you, you can tell she was more of the experienced in, in ring veteran, but I think Trish was kind of starting to come into her own during this time period. But Jazz is just legit one of the best. I, I think she is, um, and you know, is is still is real good to see her uh, still going today. But like I did want to mention Jackie Moore, man. Like I think she she is kind of one of those like unsung trailblazers as far as like women's wrestling in WWE specifically goes. Like I think she kind of get you know, swept in the mix a little bit. I know they, uh, they did honor her, uh, for the hall of fame, but like, uh, like it, it was like, she, I think she just had like everything that WWE wanted at the time. Like, I think she was the, the only, uh, she, she's the only woman to win the cruiserweight title. Right. Like uh, the, yeah. the only woman to do that. And and I think she was, CW, yeah. yeah. And then, and then she, uh, what was it? She was like the only black, like she, I think that she's the only black woman to hold like a male, male based singles title in WWE, which is that cruiserweight title. And like, you look at her, you look at jazz, um, like Sarah Del Rey, um, Allison Danger. You look at Lufisto, like Mercedes Martinez, and people like that that kind of came up in that early two thousands era. Like maybe like really really good wrestlers, bro. But like it was just the wrong time. Like they just came up in like the completely wrong time. And I, I kind of wish jazz kind of had the opportunity to be in this current era of, of women's wrestling, and even like a Beth Phoenix. You say something, you say her name, like like they they just really came up in the wrong era. But like really like solid solid wrestlers man like really ahead of their time as far as you know put, putting women on the mat when they came to you know being in the ring i wish they went to uh impact around mm. jazz can you imagine okay. looking at jazz versus gail kim or Beth gail kim impact when they or even awesome kong like when they're when they were taking their division seriously like the knockout division was, was miles ahead of w's when yeah and it would have been like yeah. it would have been really good, nice to see like them like actually get time to tell a story in the ring that they're capable of doing. But as as far as as the this match is concerned, I actually was pretty impressed with Trish in her in her selling. Like she had her hand wrapped up from uh, when Jazz attacked him in SmackDown earlier, and she was mm-hmm. selling it consistently throughout the match. And like one one moment that stood out to me too was when uh was when Jazz and and Jackie had their 
had their uh, confrontation with each other. Like the crowd actually got up for that. They like really got up for that when like they got into each other's face. So I wish that, that was something that they explored more because it seemed like the crowd was ready to see that. Yeah, definitely. I think I do think though that Jazz is somebody who sort of like might be a good hand in sort of like an AEW. I think me and Andrew were discussing this. Someone sort of like behind the scenes to sort of like help some of the uh, sort of the team mm-hmm. wrestlers they have on an AEW. I think she'd be a good hand to sort of like have behind the scenes. Stuff like that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think Jazz would be an asset to AEW. Um, you know, just just yeah. just just having someone with her experience, and you know, I, I think one of the big things, you know, not to dive too off topic, but I think one of the things with AEW as far as their women's division goes is may, may, maybe one of their um their concerns is the, the the lack of TV experience, and I feel like you know that's just one of those things where you, like you gotta throw them out there and let them get at it, but if you have somebody with right. somebody with somebody with Jazz's experience, she can literally guide them to where you want them to be and you know she's done it she's been on tv she's been on the main stage plenty of times so you know yeah definitely jazz is one of those people martin yeah i, I think um jazz the, the wwe has this tired old formula with the women where they have the women that they like and then underneath those women are just the women that are there to make the women that they like look good you know Mm-hmm. Um, and and ja- and Jazz and Jackie are definitely victims of that. They weren't ever there to be the superstars. They were there to make um, Trish look good or Sable look good or whatever woman there. I mean, Trish became a great wrestler, but like before her, you know, Sable was never any what she what, was never what we would call a good wrestler, but. They had women there to try to make her look good, like Luna and Jazz and all those. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, I think you're right there. I think there is a sort of a ceiling to certain uh, female wrestlers in WWE, um, even to this day. I think. But um, next up, we had uh, Vince McMahon against Ric Flair. Uh, story for this one is uh, Flair made his big comeback to WWF, uh, the tail end of 2001, revealing that. He was 50% owner of the company and he found that Vince was still a contracted wrestler and he, and he booked <laughs> <laughs> And Ric Flair is like the only person I've ever heard use the word consortium. Like, right. I, I don't think I've ever I've heard that word before. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'm the consortium, Vince. I'm the consortium with me. I was like, what? What is that? <laughs> and I, I was going to say, uh, like, you know, so we, we were talking about how and Martin just mentioned how, you know, uh, he became part owner of w- WWF at the time. Like, kind of on the business side, I was going to ask you, Chris. Like, what, what did you think? What did you think? Quick thoughts about, um, you know, WWE uh, migrating the WWE network over to the Peacock platform for the uh, reported one billion dollars over uh, a couple years. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense from their perspective. Um, I have a lot of cognitive dissonance when it comes to WWE because like, like after, um, long story short, um, Jamal Jamal Khashoggi was a friend of a lot of uh, professors that I knew and he would come down to like USC and, you know, talk and stuff like that. So I, I've had a hard time getting with WWE since they um, just kept doing that Saudi Arabia stuff. But I think mm-hmm. the network being um, on Peacock, um, it does provide um, them with poss- the possibility of more eyes coming on the product. 
Um, and um, just not having to handle that network. I thought the network was a good idea in theory. And I think if the network came out a few years earlier when, West, when wrestling was hotter, it would have been a better thing. But um, it's so neat these days. Like, there's, it's, you're not going to find 3 million people um, that just watch wrestling like that because the product isn't isn't must-see television it's uh, i'll watch this when i get some time you know um so um i think it, i think it could work um but yeah and i want it to work because that's where my cognitive dis- cognitive dissonance comes in because as far as this man is concerned i don't i don't give a damn about any of the mcmahon's but i do care about people working i care about wrestlers having jobs and um so that's kind of where you know the conflict of the mind comes in right mm. I, I just think that um it just gives them an excuse not to care about you know live crowds and stuff right like, like yeah all this money now who cares about you know what everything thinks oh no they're not gonna see that danger of of them sort of like not caring about pushing sort of like wrestlers and putting decent storylines together as, as we've seen the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're not good. The more Go ahead, Chad, sorry about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely more insulated now because now like they have, they have the big Fox deal. Now they have this big billion dollar deal from, from Peacock. Like, and, and none of it's, and it's basically deals for just having like the content on there. They don't need to worry about really like the quality of it so much because they have like just this huge library that they built up. So yeah, I think I I don't I don't see them listening to fans more coming out of this. They'll probably listen to them a lot less now. Yeah, there we go. And the same Martin uh they have so that you uh, go, go ahead and uh, get, get into this Ric Flair versus uh, Vince McMahon once in a lifetime bout. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, this was Flair's first match since uh, WCW went under rather. And um, I think, as is the case with most Vince McMahon matches, you know, they use every trick in the book down the ear, brawling on the outside, both of them getting busted open, Vince hamming it up big time, mocking Flair. <laughs> I mean, we even see at one point Flair's kids getting involved. Uh, Reed and Ashley, obviously Ashley now Charlotte at ringside, and Vince even oh, I believe that was to take pictures yeah. of the uh, of the bloodied Flair. Uh, I mean, Flair picked up the win, making Vince submit to the figure four leg lock. That must be like one of the only few times that someone has submitted to the Flair figure <laughs> four leg lock. But yeah, um, I thought not as you know a typical Vince brawl, not as good as his matches with Austin at St Valentine's Day Massacre, and they won. WrestleMania the next year, but um, a, a fun brawl I still thought here, uh, Chad. Uh, one one thing that uh, I want to point out before the match, uh, Ric Flair was fifty two coming into this match, and damn, he was 50, yeah, fifty two. I, I was surprised he's that young, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but Vince Man was fifty six in this match, and now uh, Sunday at the Royal Rumble, we have fifty four year old Goldberg. Challenging for the WWE Championship, and then over at AEW got sixty-one-year-old uh, Sting competing in a tag team street fight at a uh, AEW Revolution. So I-, I was wondering, like, what do you guys think of, of? I guess like I feel like back then, like these guys were presented as like very old and like cast of prime, and like, but now people of the similar age are presented as like threats to people in their prime. So what, what do you what do you mm-hmm. make of that? 
I, I, I think it's more so of a thing where, you know, it, it's just they like I, I think people like I think most companies like they still are trying to bring back those fans who kind of fell out of professional wrestling. And I think the easiest way for them to draw them back in is to see the people that they watch before they start watching. And like you see a Goldberg, you see a Sting, you know, I, I think that can draw some interest. Like for those of us who consistently watch, it's not that interesting because we know that there are a lot of other talented people there who could be in that spot. But I think the primary mm-hmm. goal is to continue bringing in those people who kind of fell out of professional wrestling. And, you know, that, you know, that 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 older audience is maybe, you know, keep keeping them intact with the product and, you know, not risking uh, the, them falling out by continuing to present new stars. And I, I, I don't think that's, uh, you know, that, that that may not even be, you know, the case, but like that's just kind of how I view it. But um, yeah, uh, I, 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 got, I have a hot take real quick. I think that 50 year olds in 2021 just look better than 50 year olds look back then. Art Anderson was 38 years old when he retired. He looked like he was about sixty back then. Um, you know, it's like, yeah. So, I, I think that um, Goldberg just look at Bobby Lashley. Man, Bobby Lashley looks like ten years younger than me, and he's like five years older than me. You know, um, it's just it's just genes are different nowadays. You know, I don't know what to say. Like. I, re- I remember my grandmother when she was Angela Bassett's age. My grandmother didn't look like Angela Bassett, no disrespect <laughs> to my grandmother, <laughs> when she was that age, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and going back to the uh, to the Rick Flair Vince McMahon match, like I Mar- Mari mentioned, the closing into it where uh, Flair, Flair tapped out McMahon. Um, like I, I I wondered what y'all did y'all catch um, that that steel pipe to the head. That he that he hit on me like I I know y'all heard that sound when, when he cracked it oh, off his mask. I was like, yes, it was horrible. <clears throat> and, and Vince, like the the one thing, well, you know, I, I'm not gonna say and give Vince all this credit. But I'm gonna like as far as like in ring, specifically in ring, like from what I've seen him, he he he, he do do to go the extra mile. Like he, oh, yeah. like I, I got my own personal opinions. Uh, you know, outside of the ring as we all do. <laughs> like specifically yeah. speaking on this match, like when I when I saw him take that steel pipe to the head, I was like, bro, goodness gracious! Like, and I I know Flair laid it in on him too. So yeah, th- like yeah. This, this, I think this match, like like my Martin said, I think it kind of it, it did go on a little long, but you know it was good for what it was, and I, I, it, it kind of furthered the storyline of Rick Flair kind of always one up in Vince McMahon. And Flair would never miss an opportunity to blade, too. Actually, Vince, too, <laughs> in his matches. They, they would oh, yeah. never miss the opportunity to blade. Like, Flair was, he bladed, had to been like two, three minutes into the match. Mm. <laughs> he was already right. like a, a bloody mess. <laughs> yeah, that's like the the crimson mask thing he always does. And, and you know, uh, follow, what was uh, following his match? Um, they had to, they, they, Martin, they cut away to the segment backstage when, when Stephanie was interviewing Michael Cole, right? I mean, yeah, Michael Cole yeah, yeah. interviewing Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie. Yeah, saying that Triple H is going to be everyone, and uh, Stone Cold shows up and uh, what's Stephanie? <laughs> um, I mean, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the whole what thing. I mean, it was everywhere at the time, weren't it? All the promos on T-shirts. I mean, I think Austin even said it started because he could never hear what the sort of like announcers were asking him, so he kind of started it from there. But I remember it being fun for yeah. a little while, but it ended up getting really, really annoying very, very quickly. I, I seem to remember at the time. 
feel like yeah, I think that if if I think you have to kind of know how to maneuver around the what chance. Um, because I saw re- certain wrestlers were good, were good, better at it than others. You know, um, I thought Angle, like when he went out there and he said something like, a, a dumbass says what or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of threw him, threw him off. But there were people that just couldn't handle those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you're right. I think we definitely seen over the, like now, well, not now, but like, you know, over the past several years, like we've definitely seen it be, it, it been like kind of difficult for some wrestlers to kind of handle, you know, the what chance and even like something similar, like when when the, when the CM Punk chance break out, like even during a match, it's kind of hard for some wrestlers to kind of bounce back off that because maybe they feel like they lost the crowd all before they even had the chance to get them. So yeah, Austin definitely did start something, but I think it just comes down to the fact that it's something as simple as like Austin was just on another level of over. Like with the fans, like they loved him, they wanted him. Like as soon as he popped out of that locker room with Stephanie, the crowd lost it, and then you know he kept doing the what thing and drove her off. Like dude, uh, so, so Stone Cold was like the like one of the best at just being one of the most simple characters. Like he was so so like uh-huh. dude, dude wore black trunks, black boots, black knee pads, and like was like the most basic in terms of uh, presentation goes. But like everything else, he just like was ten out of ten on. I feel like if you just like. Build, like it like down to like like uh something it'd be Stone Cold Steve Austin like like you say he was just he was just so simple like his character is not anything like uh like too, flashy. too creative yeah too flashy right yeah too flashy. he's not wearing he's not wearing anything like like bold or colorful like it's it's just like Stone Cold like Steve Austin like the man who's like driving this character basically like <laughs> yeah, you're, charisma. You're, they're not over. They didn't overthink Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I think that's what kind of made him so great is he was just going out there pretty much being himself. And you weren't really, they weren't, they never felt the need to like, you know, do something stupid with them. You know, like, like, oh, like, oh, like I was going to say like overcomplicate the character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and Martin, I was gonna ask you uh, while we were on the topic of Stone Cold, like uh, he he left this year, right? Like this 2002 year, he he left. He dipped on WWE after the um after they asked him to uh, lose the Brock, right? Yeah, I think um it, I think he was unhappy. Obviously, because he had that WrestleMania match against Scott Hall, and he felt that like um you know they were you know doing some dodgy booking around him, and he felt like you know they were moving past him. And I think that's when he did and, and they did that big thing on Confidential where it's like, oh, Stone Cold's taken his ball and gone home and they completely buried him and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think, and he also was having like a, a few problems in his personal life around the same time. So I think it was just like work stress, you know, real life stress at home and things like that. And it all just uh, came up and, you know, and I think he even said in his Hall of Fame speech that, you know, he was always willing to do business, but to him going in just, Losing to Brock on a Raw wasn't good business, you know. It's not so much that he should build up to. So I sort of agreed with what he was, with what he was saying at that time. Martin, do you think, uh, like, just from you know off the top of your head, like, what, what do you think that he could have accomplished in that period from when he stepped away from WWE prior to that uh, that King of the Ring to when he returned at the uh, I think it was February '03? Uh, like, do you think that there was like anything of substance? that he could have accomplished during that period or do you think it was actually it just actually worked out for the best that he went away and then you know i think we all remember when he came back at that no way out and then got that massive uh reaction uh from the crowd 
No, yeah, I think um, I think he, he did need some time away because I think at this point um, he'd sort of done. I know he was still over, but he'd done pretty much everything he could do at this point, I think. And then they'd done that sort of like botched heel turn with the uh, WrestleMania 17 that never quite clicked <laughs> with everybody. I mean, they had those classic Kurt Angle comedy skits. Those were absolutely brilliant with Vince McMahon. But other than that, you know, I think yeah, and I think sort of like he'd burnt out a bit by this point anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you talked about that backstage segment then, because there was another one with uh, Shawn Michaels dressed in a fucking Texas flag. Oh, my God. fashion, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, there's a lot of it on display. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't put that on the year, man. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> that, that is, those are Shawn Michaels originals. Oh, yeah. John Michaels has always made bold fashion choices. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember uh, sort of like late 97 when he had uh, sort of like cargo shorts and uh, loafers with no socks. Yeah, those were... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, when he used to start, when he was hosting that like hunting show and he'd always wear that like hunting hat, it was... My God, man! This dude used to look like Skinner sometimes, <laughs> or uh, uh, which what? He's when he came back, he wasn't too. <laughs> yeah, he was oh yeah, questionable fashion choices, aren't he? But um, sorry, he was obviously WWF New York, wasn't he? Uh, obviously, the big restaurant on Times Square. Uh, didn't you guys manage to make it out to uh, WWF New York? I heard the uh, food wasn't that great there. <laughs> I, I always wanted yeah. to. Yeah, I always wanted to. <laughs> never, 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 never got the chance, but I, I always wanted to. I'm, I've made it there a couple times. It, was, it wasn't anything special. Um, but back in the day, I was a lot more excited about going to WWE New York um, than I would have than I would be today. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I went, I went into the shop portion of it. One of my cousins from New Jersey was showing me around the city, and she was like. Oh yeah, you like wrestling, don't you? There's that thing. And I was like, well, yeah, I kind of like wrestling. You know that thing where it's sort of like you know a bit embarrassed. Yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> yeah, you got to pull them out first before you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I managed to manage to make. I think it's like a Hard Rock Cafe or something now. But um, yeah, and obviously the rent on there, I imagine, is uh, ridiculous. But um, moving on from that and on to uh, sort of like the co-main event of the evening, we had The Rock against Chris Jericho for uh, the undisputed title. Uh, Story with this one is pretty simple. Jericho has gotten too big for his boots since winning the title. Um, it's weird because I thought it was quite fun watching this one back. I don't really remember loving it at the time, but uh, I thought it was a fun trip down nostalgia lane. Um, I think it's got most of the checklists of an Attitude Era big match, hasn't it? The ref bumps, belt shots, going through the announce table, run-ins. Um, and then, obviously, the result is Jericho retaining after shenanigans with referees and the... Uh, Rolls Rock up uh, with a Daisdale Hebner counting the pin. Um, Andrew, yeah, thoughts on this match and just like uh, just thoughts on Jericho's runner as undisputed champion because um, it's it, it never so sort of like clicked for me um, him as undisputed champion. It always felt a bit flat. I don't know what they were trying. Whether it was just a placeholder until Triple H came back, or whether um, you know they were trying to make Jericho as one of the main event guys. Ah, uh, Chris Irvine. Chris Irvine, man. Uh, but, 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 but before before we get into that, I'm pretty sure that's gonna be a conversation we're gonna have. But like to to address Martin's question, um, as far as this title run, like, I, like I, this specific match, I felt like The Rock 
should should have took the title from him. But uh, maybe The Rock wouldn't have went on to have that uh, that star making performance at WrestleMania the, that year with Redacted. Um, and then you know, <laughs> and, and then the thing, the thing, and then the, the thing about this is that undisputed title win wasn't even supposed to be Jericho's. That was supposed to be Kurt Angle. But for some reason, Vince McMahon decided to change his mind and, you know, thought that it would work better for Jericho. Kurt Angle had openly uh, spoke about this, I think, in early January of last year. Uh, yeah, I said early Jan- in January of last year. He uh, said that Vince had called him and um, said that, yeah, we're going to put the we're going to put the undisputed championships on you. And this is going to be for you. And then like a couple of days later, he hit him up and was like, hey, I think, you know, Jericho can really benefit from this. And, you right. know, pre and, and, and pre. Uh, you know, and, and pre-Jericho, uh, you know, making a fool out of himself. Uh, I think I can agree with that, with that right. notion that, 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 that it yeah, did work. It. Yeah, it, it did work out better for Jericho. But I, I was going to kind of, uh, I was going to kick it over to Chad because, you know, The Rock, you know, we, we mentioned Stone Cold left this year. The Rock left this year, too, that year, that 2002 year to go, you know, start off uh, one of the biggest acting careers of all time, just a legend. <laughs> but I was going to ask you, Chad, Chad, like, Chad when, how do you think, WWE kind of handled, you know, losing two of arguably their biggest stars of the 2000s um, during that stretch of period, during that stretch from the summer, you know, until they both came back uh, in, in in early 2003. It's it's kind of funny because they had the Rock go out there when Stone Cold left and give that big like he took his ball and went home promo, and then the Rock was gone probably like. Probably not even a month later. Bro, like, 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 li- li- later. Literally like two weeks later, bro, he was gone. <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> Rock's like, I'm always going to be here for the fans. Always going to be here. And then I, I feel like that's probably uh, might have contributed to like the reaction you got at like SummerSlam 2002. Like, I don't know if they, if like the fans like picked up that he was leaving after that. They, they, did. Like, they, were, they did. They did. They, they knew. They knew. Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah. So I think that that was probably like part of like the reason he got booed so bad because like oh you said like you get this big promo now you're gonna you're gonna leave too like immediately after that but uh i think they tried like the hardest to uh to make brock like put brock in that like brock and stone cold board and in brock like he did like the best he could with it but like mm-hmm. you, you can't fill the shoes you can't fill the brock and stone cold shoes mm. but i think they they, they, they were you'd see them because like they brought up like the they brought up like the OVW six around this time. They brought up Benjamin and Haas. They brought up uh, Cena, Barry Orton, Batista. So you could see them like they knew that they had to get younger, develop new stars, and uh, it, I guess I guess they were pretty successful in the end because you you end up with with Cena and Batista coming out of this, right? And then, and then uh, going back into the match. Um... Chris, I was gonna ask you. Uh, like, I, so the, when they when they had the whole thing about Nick Patrick, when he was like refusing to count uh, the Rock out, Nick, Nick Patrick was a part of that WCW. Like, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that's what I was gonna ask you. Like, cause I, I like I kind of like kind of pieced two and two together. Like when I was younger, I, I didn't I didn't know. I just thought he was like one of those you know referees that just wouldn't do it. And then uh, but like, like of course once you got <laughs> you start and you start learning about you know what happened in the past as far as the invasion stuff. It kind of like I put two and two together. It was like oh he was a part of the invasion, a part of that WCW group. Yeah, he was the NWO referee, and he grew a goatee out because goatees are evil. Uh, yeah. Any powers? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was, yeah. So you kind of knew some shenanigans was gonna pop off when he when he got out there. Uh, I do have to talk about the reactions. Uh, 
like especially like they like to piggyback off of what Chad said a little bit. I don't think WWE ever really recovered from Stone Cold and The Rock leaving from that company because even with like John Cena and Batista, they never fully seem to understand that the rock and Austin got over because they were allowed to get over and just naturally be themselves. Like by the time they got to Cena and Batista, the company changed their model to them wanting to control everything, you know? Um, And, and going, you know, on record on like a, call on like on calls with stockholders and stuff saying we do not want our wrestlers being bigger than the brand um and i think that's kind of um the issue here but i definitely thought that um, this match was like i think um did you say this uh andrew um or was it um uh bushby this i think this this match is much better than i remember it being um yeah. yeah Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely much better than I remember it being because I remember when it was on when I was 21 years old, I didn't really think much of it. No, definitely, I, I think, think it stands up a lot better. But going to your point there about you know them not wanting um the wrestlers to be bigger than the brand, I mean, that's definitely bled over into the sort of like past 20 years. But I think also we saw sort of seeing this nostalgia trip this year as well, don't we? We saw see they bring the NWO back and and then you know <laughs> we see Flair come back on this and and that's what they've kind of done for the next twenty years, aren't they? You know, oh, we need to pop a big rating. Let's bring sort of like the older guys back, and that seemed to start around this time period when previous to this they'd been mocking WCW for using the old guys and things like that, and then they seem to revert to doing that for uh, from this year onwards, I think. Yeah, like, uh, you, you want to know something that, like, when, when you were talking, like, I, I kind of, something that came to my mind, like, WWE has always kind of had this formula of the, 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 the two, the two big names, and then you probably have, like, one or two or one or three different backup guys, just in case those two top guys don't work out. Like, we had Rock and Austin, um, you had John Cena and Batista, you had Cena and Punk, and now it seemingly we have, Roman and Drew McIntyre. It seems like you know, like we. I mean, they they anything could happen with Drew McIntyre in the next couple of years. But Roman is definitely one of those guys. Like WWE is like they 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 have so many people that they could rely on to be a top name. But it's like maybe they just don't feel that that person could fit all the categories that they that they have as far as like you know you being that top spot. Like it, it it's it's like a real weird situation. But like I, I do. Like I, I I wouldn't say they didn't recover from rock from losing Rock and Austin because I feel like they recovered decently. You know they kind of bounced back with John Cena kind of carrying the load for a while, but I, I don't think they ever really fully recovered from that. And, and, and John Cena didn't really leave. He just like it, it just wasn't his time anymore. So I, I think that's like you know a fair well, assessment. I mean, suffers from the same thing that The Rock did because all these dumbasses got to stop saying. I'll never leave the company because the minute a big ass <laughs> Hollywood director, yeah, you're you're gonna leave. What do you rather do, movies or wrestling? Come, come the I fuck. Think on, is, I think Reigns is gonna be gone for Hollywood. 
Right, yeah. Because he's been smoking this character right now. Like, just like the intricacy of of what he's doing right now. I think I think I can definitely see like a casting director like seeing this and being like, I can make this guy. My mom, my 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 uh, girlfriend hates wrestling. She always leaves a room when it comes on. Except when Roman Reigns is wrestling with his shirt off. <laughs> That's when she sticks around. I, you, you can't fight the tide. If, if the, these wrestlers are going to out... It's not even them leaving. It's they outgrow that environment, right? They, you know, flowers got to grow, man. You know, you got to... Um, you got to see what else you're good at. And, you know, if Hollywood comes a call and if DC... Warner Brothers calls John Cena. Hey, man, you want to do Suicide Squad? What's he gonna do? Say no? I rather be <laughs> wrestling. It, it sounds it sounds stupid when you say it out loud. It's yeah, like stopping too. And I think cream it's, rises to the top. I mean, Rock always says that, doesn't he? That the cream rises to the top because we have seen sort of like your likes of Triple H and Jericho try and make a bit of a go of it <coughs> in Hollywood, and it's not mm. quite panned out for them, has it, Andrew? Uh, yeah, it hasn't uh, panned out, but. Uh... I, I I think it's time, Martin, that we have this uh this conversation about uh, Chris Irvine, yeah. the man from uh <laughs> from the, 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 the man the man who who is from New York, and I, I thought he was from Canada, but he's from New York. He was born in New York. I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm just, just discovering this information, groundbreaking information right there. But uh yeah, man, Chris Chris Jericho um has had a very um interesting uh, past year to say the least. I think in early 2020, I would say prior to the pandemic, uh, everybody was, I'm not going to say everybody, but I, I'm going to say I was one of those people that was singing the praises of Chris Jericho. And, it, and I think that was kind of just coming off of his AEW title run on top of the stuff he was doing in New Japan uh, at the time. And I think for him to be at the age that he was and still remaining relevant was very impressive. And I think, you know, I think we can all agree to that. And like, like I, I, like the the thing that kind of really soured me on Jericho, like just as a black man, like when he started doing the All Lives Matter thing, like immediately after the, the passing of George Floyd, it's like he just did not understand. Like, like, and, and the thing was, like, I don't think you can kind of force anybody to understand a situation like that. Like, Chris is a a forty nine, fifty year old white male that has been in his own ways for so many years, and there's only so much that he's going to absorb information wise that is not different from what he already believes. And like, it kind of really soured me on Chris Jericho and like he, even seeing him now, you know, being one of these uh, faithful COVID deniers when he openly admitted that he caught COVID-19, like, you, you know what I mean? Like it, 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 yeah. it's kind of, it, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. To somebody have this big of a fall from grace. Like Martin, I know me and you and uh, Ridge and Benno talked about this on the, um, on the Ring of Honor podcast we did, and we talked about like how you know you a guy like and, and not comparing Austin Aries to Chris Jericho, but like we kind of compared to like seeing guys have like these fall from graces, and not saying that Austin Aries was like the most well liked guy, but to see where he is now, opposed to how people viewed him in 2016, 2017, it's kind of crazy. And I and I think that's kind of the same thing with Chris Jericho. Um, I talked to Chad um, yesterday about it just a little bit, and it was crazy because we both kind of agreed that Jericho used to be like one of our favorites like when we were a child, when we were kids and, you know, seeing him now and like coming to the realization that some of these, some, some, like some of these wrestlers, bro, like they're just like legit dumbasses, like for lack of better terms, as far as like 
you know, them having just completely different worldviews. And I mean, that that's understandable at times, at times, but, because like mm-hmm. they, they, they just grow up differently than we do. But like, it's kind of crazy to see how, like, how big of a fall from grace that Jericho has had. And, you know, now, like, I, and, and we, I think we just at that point now in professional wrestling, like, just even as fans, too, it's impossible to separate the character from the human being if the character is doing all this other stuff. Like, even with Undertaker sporting the Blue Lives Matter flag. <laughs> for, uh, yeah, and, the, and that nine-line gear that he wears in every yes. WWE Network interview yes. for some reason now. Like, even that, and even um, I, I saw Tommaso Ciampa. He had the Blue Lives Matter flag in his interview oh, with Lillian oh, Garcia. I saw that. Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like when, when you see stuff like that, it is it, it really sours me. Like, and 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 I, I matter of fact, I don't even hate that that happens because it just makes me realize like some of these people that you outwardly support, they probably would, they probably have a completely different view of you than you view them. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. it is kind, it's kind of crazy. So yeah, that that's kind of all I had to say about uh about Chris Jericho. I'm not, I'm not going like, I, I, I plan to came on, I plan to come on here and, you know, throw some, throw, throw some disrespect this way, but you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna keep it professional. Okay. So, um, as a political science professor, I always say to people that you're, you no one's political views are wrong. That's just not, this is how it is. Everybody has different perspectives. However, there is a such thing as facts, and you and we don't get to pick and choose what facts are. You know what I'm saying? They just are. They just exist for a reason. So what's happened in the United States of America is we've had this president who's gone on media and told everybody that facts don't matter. What I say is true. And you have this wishful thinking from like a lot of these um, so-called religious zealots and people who think because they want something that it automatically makes it true. Like Jericho, you know, he, he's, he, his science is, I want to make money with Fozzie and masks don't work because I say it doesn't work. Um, that's just not how the world works. You know what I'm saying? And as far as the Blue Lives Matter stuff, as much as it bothers me, you can be in this corner with that opinion and I'll just be on the other side, but you can't, you can't, you know, get mad when people stop following you and all this other stuff, you know, you want to claim, you know, for like Jericho, I I have no clue what's going on. And I, and I don't even buy the age anymore because Jericho was born in 1970. Uh, that that's, that's, years removed from this, the, you know, social upheaval of the sixties, you know what I'm saying? He, he's old enough to young enough, at least to know, to know that you got to purge yourself of that bullshit. That's my opinion. What you guys think? Yeah. I was going to say, pass pass it to chat. Also too, like it's, it's, it's surprising when like guys have these opinions. Those might be, they're guys who have traveled the world for, decades upon decades like lived in other countries and they just picked up like nothing from those experiences like sociopolitically at all like i and i guess it's understandable to some extent because like they're they're so focused on their career and everything that i guess they just block out everything going on around them 
But like one of my my biggest issues with Jericho was uh, when he was saying that all lives matter stuff after uh, the George Floyd uh, killing. Like, immediately after, yeah, immediately after, there were people that were respectfully directing it on why you don't want to say like all lives matter, how it's like been used to undercut Black Lives Matter, and he was blocking them. He would block them. He wouldn't even engage with them. He just straight up blocked them. Like he he's he just wants to be. Uh, insulating his worldview. Right, and he yeah. doesn't want any other perspectives from anybody else. Yeah, well, that's that, well, that's how conspiracy theories work, right? Where'd you say you go, you went to school, Chad? Temple University. Temple, and then um, and then you know we you know being educated people and stuff. The way conspiracy theories works is they talk over us. They say, "Oh, all that shit you're learning." at the white man's schools and universities and stuff. And, you know, uh, Andrew is like, well, I went to a black school. Well, you're learning, even at the black school, they're teaching you the white man stuff and you're, or you're learning the liberal crap. Um, and you don't know the real truth. So they feel like their eyes are open to whatever bullshit fairy tales that they read. And that's why Jericho has these, conspiracy theories guys on this show and that's why and he's rich too so he can comfortably live in a bubble where um black lives don't matter and poor people lives don't matter and stuff like Mm. that he he can do whatever the fuck he wants to do in his world because that's the world that he's kind of set up for himself yeah man uh martin any uh any thoughts about chris jericho's uh his fall from grace over the past year and you know you kind of just just seeing how he has like just openly exposed himself on social media i think the thing is it's do you just bang your head against the brick wall don't you because it's like (laughs) you know with this social media age you know everyone's quick to put a quick opinion up and stuff before educating themselves on the matter and you're just like someone in a high profession like jericho yeah fine have your own political beliefs and stuff but at least you know, educate yourself on what's going on before you throw these opinions out and things like that, you know, and it's just like, you just like, shut up until you know everything about, you know, what is going on before you throw out these tweets, like, all lives matter and things like that, because I think we can all agree that, sort of like, Nate Milton summed it up the best when, um, you know, when you did, you and Andrew, you, Andrew and Nate did that podcast with John and Wayne, and, you know, to mm-hmm. all these all lives matter people, you know, he was saying that, you know, we don't want more than you. We just want the same as you. And I think that summed it up perfectly, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like the one thing that I like going back on Jericho, it's like, well, matter of fact, we, we, we can even move Chris, Chris Jericho at this point because, like, he's not the only person on this. On this yeah, there's, no, a lot right. of, there's a lot of people that think similar to him. And I think that's that's the big issue. And, like, like, like going even going on the, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, like for Jericho to invite that dude on his podcast, who is a open COVID denier and, you know, provide him Uh with the platform to openly speak about why he think COVID is a hoax and all this other stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm as well. He'd be after he announced he had COVID too. Exactly. This man literally, literally had the virus. Like, and you are still one of those avid deniers. I'm like, dude, you are literally, signaling off to these people who follow you relentlessly to following your following your lead and that's not good 
Like people are literally dying from the virus. Like I literally, like I, I can't even, yeah. I can't even remember the number of people over the past year that have passed away, unfortunately, due to COVID. And like the fact that that isn't enough information to, you know, like it, like make you realize that this thing is real. And I mean, at the end of the day, we ain't gonna convince him or anybody else of nothing. Like they gonna believe what they want to believe. But like on on the on the race issue, man, it's like I, I, I did, like it, racism has been like just for me. I would say since um Trayvon Martin the, the Trayvon Martin situation happened that's when like my eyes were like really open to like what was going on like you always like you know me me as a 13 14 year old kid you know you you heard about it and you know you hear about slavery and you read about it and stuff like that but like it wasn't until that specific situation happened as to when I was like damn like you know what I'm saying like that's like that's America right there like they literally just took a black child's life for no legitimate reason. And then of course, over the years, we've seen plenty of documented situations where we've seen black men and black women be had their lives taken for no legitimate reason, just other than the fact that whoever committed such act felt like they had the right to, you know what I'm saying? And I, I think that's one of the, like just that building up and, you know, those overall thoughts being in your head and then, you know, kind of transitioning over back to the Chris Jericho, all lives matter situation. It's kind of frustrating to see like, people like him that have the platform that he does kind of spread that message out because it only just further reinforces, you know, that, that line of thinking. And then it didn't help that we had a president who also further endorsed that line of thinking. So it was just one yeah. big combustible group of just dumbass thoughts that came together and, and everybody just kind of put that out. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, I wonder how, what, what Tony Khan thinks of this. Cause he's like really trying to push AEW as a progressive brand, you know, and, um, like it's just Jericho, the stuff that he says and does online is just counterintuitive to what the message I'm like the optics of what AEW is trying to portray. And then what, what Jericho is doing, it just, it just makes no sense. And it's weird too, that he would choose this era to, um, to to have all these crazy takes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, are you great, Chad? I'd be interested to, to know if, like, him and Tony Khan have had any, like, private talks because maybe he doesn't want to, like, publicly, like, lambast, like, his, like, big money star. Mm-hmm. Derek can probably, but I wonder if, like, Tony Khan's ever just, like, put him aside and, like, like what are you doing here? Like, like chill why, would you, why would you have this guy on your podcast? Like it doesn't reflect well on like on our brand that you that you have this you, you, stuff you out here. So, something that would be interesting, and uh, like I, I know they do the um the AEW does the post uh pay per view podcast. I mean post pay per view media calls. It would be like very interesting to see or hear someone ask about that, like Chris Jericho's comments, and you know when when you're like how Chris said, like how he wants to present a progressive company when you have somebody who has been uh, just not, not, not progressive at all over the past uh, the past six or seven months. I think that will be an interesting question. You know, if they invite me on, I might take that shot. We might, that, 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 that might be my last one. <laughs> that, 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 that might be my last, my last AEW media call. But I, I, I think it's a valid question, bro, to ask the spearhead of the company, like, how do you genuinely feel? And then, of course, I, I'm i pretty sure all of us on here right now, uh, Chad, Chris, and Martin, I'm pretty sure we all are, wouldn't expect Tony Khan to just come out and just bash Chris Jericho in yeah. public. I'm, yeah. he, he, he's not yeah. going to do that. But but it, it would be interesting to hear 
what he thinks as a t- Tony Khan. T- what what, what uh, ethnicity is Tony Khan? Like, is he? Um, because I, I know his father, Shah Khan, is. I I, I don't I don't want to uh, uh, misrepresent him. So, but I, I know Tony Khan is a I believe is a person of color. So, like, it, it would be interesting to hear what he thinks as far as like Chris Jericho's. You know, even his COVID comments, like I think that'd be the more relevant thing to speak about his COVID comments. And, you know, when he's presenting this idea or, you know, presenting, you know, AEW and, you know, you know, everybody getting tested and, you know, things of the sort. So, yeah, man, Chris Jericho is quite the individual. I think that's fair to say. But Martin, shall we move past Chris Jericho and let's get into the Royal Rumble? But I like, yeah, I appreciate y'all opening up the discourse for that. That was a good conversation. I actually have uh, yeah. I actually have one more thing to say on like just like the match <laughs> that they had. Uh I think it really speaks to like just how little that they like thought they put him to make in Jericho star around the time that they had all those top outs for the finish. Because you had yeah uh you had Lance Storm and Christian interfere, you had a belt shot, you had a low blow, you had a turnbuckle exposed, <laughs> <laughs> you had Christian do a roll up. You had a dirty ref in Nick Patrick. You had Trick Sugar have his feet on the ropes. Like everything in the book they threw out there. And then they expect us to take it seriously as an undisputed champion. Like, I don't think they felt that through very much. Yeah, it's kind of like they were one foot in, one foot out with Jericho in this title run, weren't they? And it does, it, it's like Andrew noted earlier, they were thinking about doing it with Angle. And then they were kind of one foot in, one foot out with Jericho, you know, having all the bells and whistles on these matches and things like that. So, yeah, it wasn't. Um, wasn't the best of title runs, but um, yeah, on to the main event, the Rumble match. Obviously, talked about it earlier, the big Triple H return was a big story leading into this match. Um, I'm not going to go through all the entrants. second longest Rumble of all time, actually, but um, number one was Rikishi, and then number two, uh, most interesting talking point here, was uh, returning Goldust. Um, He'd not been seen in WWF since uh, 99. He'd uh, been in with WCW for the past few years. He had a huge entrance on his return here. And um, after, it's funny with Rikishi as well, because obviously he had that old stuff with the, you know, I did it for The Rock and pretending to run Steve Austin over. And uh, Rikishi's back to being his usual too cool self here, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. We're, we're, I think Rikishi is like one of the more entertaining uh, on screen characters of the 2000s. I think he was a really, really solid wrestler. And you know Dustin <laughs> Rose, uh, seeing him back, like dude, he like he he was in and out of WWE in the early two thousands, yeah. like a lot. Like when he was in, yeah. he had like he had like five separate runs in WWE from like that even that seven eight year stretch. Like he was in and out. He was in all Japan, TNA. Like this dude was like everywhere. So yeah, it was a uh, it was interesting yeah, to see him back and yeah yeah WCW and yeah but yeah Rikishi that definitely one of my one of my childhood favorites. I think too. Uh, like, I just made this like observation. Like, what a year Rikishi had. Like, from like the last Royal Rumble in two thousand two thousand one, he was the number thirty entrant. He just came off a few with the Rock, Stone Cold. He had that awesome Batman theme song, and oh, yeah. then like just a year later, he's like basically like reverted back to what he was, his whole character, what he was before all that happened. It was like almost like all that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's also in the year two thousand he eliminated like I want to say like seven or eight guys from that Royal Rumble, um, and it looked like he was on an upward trajectory. And then this Royal Rumble, 
I think he eliminates boss man and he's, you know, right back to, um, I think he was in there for 13 minutes, but you know, definitely wasn't of any consequence in that rumble. Because yeah. mm-hmm. we have a bit of a rogues gallery of talent, don't we? Like Salang Storm and Bossman coming out, and then it's not until uh, entrant number eight with uh, Mr. Blue Lives Matter himself, the Undertaker, coming out rolling. Up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Mark, I was going to ask you, like you mentioned, Big Bossman, real quick. Like, dude, I, I, it was one spot during this match um, when Gold does he hit, he hit Bossman. Bossman was selling it, but Gold does hit him, and Bossman spit in the front row, dog. I I, I I could only if that was me in the front row. Just imagine you sitting in the front row of the rumble and you see a big boss man Lugi just like come and just smack you in the face. Like dog, I'm t- I'm hopping over that barricade. I'm going to the back and I'm getting my refund immediately. I'm going straight to Vince. And I'm getting my money. But nah, that was crazy, bro. But yeah, uh, uh who, 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 who did you mention, Martin? That just yeah, t- Taker came out. I, I think that's when it uh it picked up. But like one one thing that uh, that that was kind of funny was when they called Landstorm Mr. Personality. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was Ross. Yeah, that was hilarious. Jerry yeah, also called him too. He's one of the most underrated superstars on WF. So I think, like, JR, like, recognized, like, his talent. But, yeah. like, I don't think that the writing team saw much at all in Landstorm. Just because, like, just how dry he is. I say, Martin, did you catch when Al Snow came out and the crowd started chanting, We won head? Did you? Did you hear what Lawler said? Did you hear what Lawler said? No, Chad, that? Please, no. Don't do it. Don't do it, Chad. Don't do it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Not... Oh my goodness, man! Because <laughs> obviously we've got Undertaker here as his American badass, as the incarnation. Because obviously he comes out, doesn't he? And he quickly clears out house until uh, Matt Hardy comes out, <laughs> and then him and Lita try taking the dead man out, and then. Jeff Hardy's up next. He has a bit of a reunion with his brother, and, and then uh, Taker eliminates them both. And then we have one of the biggest Rumble shocks of all time. As the uh, goat. yes, the so, goat. Yes. <laughs> this is the, the yeah greatest of all time, right here. <laughs> Good old Maven comes Best out. Undertaker's distracted by the Hardys, and then he drop kicks Undertaker over the top rope. I mean, uh, Maven. I mean, memories, thoughts about Maven. Tough enough. Did that? I gotta say this. I thought Maven was absolutely fantastic here because he, <laughs> he, he, he he's getting he's getting his uh, shit rock at like in the beginning, and then the Hardys are still bitter because you know they got they got their shit rock by Taker and stuff, and Maven is kind of waiting for his time. He kicks him out the ring, and then he goes into celebration mode, goes to the second rope and stuff, and then he realizes what he did. <laughs> and that was the, the greatest thing right there. He start, Then he starts putting his hands on his head, and he's like, starts trying to talk reason to this guy. <laughs> and it, it was just, that was some very, very masterful storytelling. I thought the beatdown on Raven went on about five minutes too long, but oh, he's um, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, this was great. Yeah, I was, I was going to uh, ask you, Chad. Did, Chad, do you think this is the greatest uh, Royal Rumble elimination of all time? I think so. I think it like just how unexpected it was that, <laughs> that it was Taker who got eliminated. Like the crowd's reaction, and then like like Chris said, like how many of them was like, oh oh, 
Like, it, how he just came to, like, realization, like, what he did. Like, he was, like, backing away in the corner mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from Taker. And then, like, that, and I agree, I do agree with Chris. I, like, that beatdown, like, probably did go, like, too long. Like, I think he, they probably could have left it at, like, the chair shot that that Taker gave Maven. And he, he really laid that chair shot there, too. Like, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the right hand straight to the head, that in, and you just know, oh my god, like trying to go, oh, look, I'm I'm with the guys, sort of thing. I can take a clean, yeah, to the mm-hmm. head, but watching it with sort of 2021 eyes, you're just like, oh god, any sort of chair shot to the head with no protection is just horrendous, isn't it? yeah. And there were so many on this show, yeah, definitely. Well, Edge, chat, chat, I was on Edge, like, uh, didn't they recreate? That same spot the following year, the Royal Rumble, but this time Undertaker didn't go over it. Then they they ended up tossing Maven out. Yeah, the, yeah, the three. <laughs> yeah. That, that was a good callback that they did. Yeah, and that was I, good. I, I, do you think that Maven could have been bigger than than what he was, what he ended up being, which is like basically like a Sunday Night Heat mainstay? Nah, nah. like I, oh, I, I, well, I, 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 I go ahead. No, you go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. <laughs> know if he could have been bigger but i think it goes back to that self-fulfilling prophecy you were talking about chad i don't think maven was set up in such a way to where confidence could build in himself and he could become a player on wwe stage you know it's like there's certain guys in that company who never get over to the fullest extent that they should get over, and they get chance after chance after chance, like um, someone like a Baron Corbin. Maven, the, the minute he does one thing they don't like, he's right back to the bottom. And, you know, and I just don't under... I just never understood the booking of this guy. You, you, you had this stupid show on MTV that a lot of people watched, and they were dedicated to, and these numbers that that t- that season of Tough Enough were getting were great. So you had people, people who didn't even watch wrestling per se, heavily invested in this guy. So the best thing you could do when you bring him up to the roster is, um, you know, just just embarrass him every chance you get. Like even the Undertaker stuff, it's like, okay, we're gonna give you this moment, but then you have to get your ass beat for 15 minutes straight all over the arena. You know, it, it, I just never understood that thought process. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying Raven could be great, but I'm saying like, I don't think an accurate assessment of what he could, could have been, could be made by virtue of just the, um, the start stops they gave this guy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think Maven kind of went on to have a, uh, had a somewhat, well, not not even somewhat. He had a very like post, like successful post WWE career. I think he like worked for like BET, and then he was like working yeah. finances oh, for the Brooklyn like, Nets. He's like, he's like yeah, the, yeah. Um, age of ten too. He's like, yeah, job. Yeah, I remember I, my mom I, like telling me that. <laughs> yeah, I dude, saw he, him work in security for a club a few years ago in New York, um, and um, someone was at, trying to ask him about wrestling. He didn't want to talk about wrestling. He was like, "Yeah, get the fuck on." Uh, so, um, I, I think that's how he feels about that part of his life. Yeah, but wasn't like, he? Well, a, are you great, uh, Chad? Wasn't he like, uh, like, like Ed, Randy Orton's driving partner, like early in their career? I remember him like saying that, like in an interview before, like him and Randy Orton were like really tight. Like, I, 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 th- I think I've heard 
heard that. Like, uh, I've heard that Randy and Mark Jindrak were really tight early on, but I think maybe it may have been within that mix a little bit. Like, maybe but, that's uh, why they didn't push him too, because like you see all the trouble that like Randy Orton got in mm-hmm. in his early career, and maybe like he took like some of that heat, like because like we can't really do anything to Randy because like we want him to be like the top guy, but like we can we could not use his his uh, ride partner who's getting the trouble with him. Yeah, like what what going like specifically going back, not not going too far to the 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 post beat down, but I saw a. Uh, I saw a familiar face when when uh, when Undertaker threw uh, Maven into the into the popcorn machine. I had saw uh, the the former uh, head of security over at WWE, James Tillis, and I got to interview him uh, last year. And I had hit him up. I, oh, oh just, that was great, man! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I had hit him up um, when when I saw him. I I, I spot because I, I'm like I, I've seen this before. I got the chance to like I mean I, after I got the chance to interview him, but I never noticed it. And then, like, when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, damn, that looked like James a little bit. And then I hit him up, and I was like, hey, do you remember when um, when, when Undertaker took Maven and, and up to the concourse and all the, you had to stop? Because the fans, they kind of ran up oh, on yeah. Maven. And I, oh, and, yeah. And, and, and I saw mm-hmm. James, James kind of pressed them back a little bit. And he was just telling him, he was like, yeah, man, those fans are crazy as hell. But he was like, that was probably, like, one of the most fun segments that he had the chance to be a part of, like, just because the – the, the crowd was all crazy, and then you know, seeing uh, Taker and Maven, he was like, you know, he 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 says like some real nice things about Maven. He was just like Maven was just a very talented dude. Like he had a lot going for him, and you know, it, it, it of, course, of course it didn't probably go the way that Maven thought it was going to go, but you know, he he had a successful run. So yeah, that that was a cool little thing right there when I uh when I spotted James in the in the uh, leading the way up to the the concourse. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he ate the popcorn too. That that was disgusting. Bloody yeah. <laughs> head through the popcorn, and then take ate the popcorn right out. So it all um, it also quiets quietens down again, doesn't it? He was like Christian Scotty to what he fighting. Uh, DDP comes out, gets a decent pop in front of the Atlanta crowd, only to be chucked out when the camera's focusing on uh, the Godfather and his uh, bed. Oh my women. goodness! <laughs> but, but, yeah, he came out with like twelve of them. Right? Mario, <laughs> Mario, tell me this issue. Like, I, I, like, of course, the Godfather's character. Tell, tell me this one. Like, one of the best Royal Rumble entries. This is hilarious, bro. Oh my God. Like, yeah. this, this this man wasted the, the entire timer. Like, <laughs> Godfather was hilarious. I was going to ask you what you think about that, Martin Godfather's uh his illustrious interest in the the 2002 Royal Rumble where he burnt the entire timer out. Oh yeah, and plus, and they're trying to make out like he's legitimate now or something because well. <laughs> Like, nah, man. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, and then obviously the other big entrance is uh, Steve Austin at 19. Obviously, he clears out, doesn't he? And then proceeds to bring Test and some of the other guys back to eliminate them even more just to show you who the jobbers are in this. In this I do want to make a note of one thing from this little section. That's when DDP gets eliminated by um, Christian and Chuck. And this is when the Royal Rumble is good, it'll start a good three or four different feuds in the match, you know. Um, And they didn't really do that in this match. But the one that they did kind of start a feud with was Christian and DDP because they would go on to wrestle at this year's WrestleMania. 
they missed DDP's entrance too. I think during Godfather's, like yeah, yeah, yeah. like in the middle of everything, Jr. just like mentions in passing, oh, DDP got thrown out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested. Obviously, uh, you know. Myself and Chris will remember, you know, DDP being a massive part of WCW, watching it at the time, things like that, and obviously got really got fond memories of these uh, matches with specifically sort of like Raven and Goldberg and that. I'm interested, like uh, Chad and Andrew, sort of like, what are your sort? Do you sort of like more associate DDP with sort of like the DDP yoga stuff and stuff he's doing now? Not really, <laughs> that many memories of him being a decent wrestler and stuff. So obviously, this stuff in WWF, he bought himself out of his Time Warner contract, and then he had this terrible. So sort of like stalker angle with a uh, Undertaker's then wife Sarah, and it was just a cool yeah. nightmare from start to finish. I'm interested in as sort of younger fans. What are your sort of like thoughts on DDP and his sort of like legacy in wrestling? You kick it off, Chad. I thought like, well, obviously, like my my introduction to DDP was was stalker angle, and mm. I didn't think he was. I didn't think like like too much of him. But I remember when he came out, like, the crowd went crazy for him. And then they revealed he was, like, Undertaker's stalker. And then Undertaker did just, like, kick his ass for, like, <laughs> months on months on that. Right, yeah. He, he would barely get any offense in, like, at all, like, on Undertaker. So they already, like, set him up as, like, a carrier. So, like, when I, when I, like, finally, like, went back and watched, like, like, WCW stuff, like, DDP was probably, like, at times, he's probably the top star in WCW. Or right. just the top star. So like, yeah. his wife was so much better looking than that Sarah woman, you know. No, like Kimberly was one of the finest women, not just in wrestling, but I've ever seen. And then to just kind of be like, okay, now he's stalking Sarah. And, you know, Sarah was, she was pretty enough, but I mean, you know. Just like the thought, though, of like, yeah. why would you make DDP, like a guy who was like a legitimate world champion in WCW, like one of the most popular guys, why would you make him a heel stalker? Like you immediately like place him in like a lower card, basically, like off the, off the, off the jump, like, like, that'd be, imagine if, like, AJ Styles came in to WWE, and, they, and, like, they debuted him with some, like, goofy gimmick instead, and then he didn't end up getting over, and they're like, oh, that was, that was AJ Styles' fault. Like, he just didn't have what it takes to make him WWE. I, I think that also comes down, as far as DDP, like, I, I just think that he had his best years in WCW, and I think DDP has openly admitted that, you know, and I don't think it's, like, an old, even an admitting thing, like, he just got started in wrestling at a late age, so, like, I think his prime now, he wasn't like necessarily out of his prime when he got to WWE, but I think his better years had already happened. And then I think his peak was, you know, I think he won the European Championship, I believe, in WWE. So I think that was probably his, you know, that that, that was his shining reign or shining moment uh, throughout the company. But, you know, he, he got the, you know, got the Hall of Fame induction and, you know, all that good stuff. And he, he wrestled for AEW last year. Uh, or, or in 2019 or 20, oh, early 2020, <laughs> yeah, he, he did. He, he wrestled. He wrestled for them. So yeah, man. DDP's run. I like. I don't remember anything like font. Like I don't remember it fondly. Like as far as the storyline goes, but like I just remember him being European champion. And you know, I think I used to use his character in the old SmackDown game. So <laughs> remember the fake teeth too. I remember he always just like smiling. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> so then, like, the big smile. The big, the giant yeah. veneers. 
But what, like what what Martin was saying, though, I I do think DDP is one of those figures like a George Foreman who you. George Foreman, the first thing you think about with him now is the grill, you know, and I think <laughs> DDP, the first thing you think about is the yoga, because that is the first thing I think about, even though I'm not as young as you guys are. Um, I, I, I don't think about the wrestling first. I think about the yoga first, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy also used to wrestle. And that's probably because my girlfriend uses the DDP yoga, but. And she got and, uh... George Foreman grill as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we, we definitely got that on deck. <laughs> like go, going back into the match uh, that Martin, like when Martin uh, last last was on uh, Stone Cold's entrance, like one one thing that I really liked, uh, and they they did this with Triple H too. Like w- whenever somebody big was about to come out, like a big name, you could always kind of tell because they would go to that that shot, like the wide shot of the entire arena, and then before the before the clock came down, you could see, like my Austin music said, you see the crowd just rise up. Like it was it was like one of the best. Uh, one of the best production shots that I saw, like throughout that night, and like even with um when Triple H came, I'm pretty sure you guys saw like when he was like his his image was like blacked out a little bit, but he had like the green and blue lasers yeah. like it was, like dude that yeah. was so that that was so cool, bro. I was like oh my mm-hmm. god, that, that's like if if for them to be like that on point with a production shot in the early 2000s, like with the equipment they had, I'm pretty sure WWE had high quality equipment, but like. To, c- compared to today, it, compared to today's equipment, it ain't even a, a question. But like, yeah, they, mm-hmm. they had they had like a couple cool shots in there. I just wanted to, uh, to mention that before Martin uh, continued. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Triple H coming out there at twenty two, and that must hold the Rumble record for the longest entrance ever. I mean, <laughs> I know, right? To the point that his song runs out, <laughs> and they have to like reloop it, kind of like the end of the WrestleMania or something. I mean, it, <laughs> it's insane to me. Like, pours like half a ton of water on his head before he comes out. Really. Oh, he's drenched in yeah. like water and oil. <laughs> yeah, and, and and he would one hundred percent, thousand percent guaranteed passive wellness policy uh, in that carnation. <laughs> he, he's not on anything at all. Oh, no, like, Triple H came definitely would have melted a cup. Dude, dude dumped a whole bottle of water on him like when, before he stepped in the ring. I'm like, bruh. Like what? What? Like what? What was the point of that? Like he he like jumped up, like was, drenched a whole, a whole bottle of water himself. We stepped in the ring with like Steve Austin. That's Rollins scale. Drenched in water. But but yeah, like this. So yeah, this was uh this is his first match uh back since like his first sanctioned match back. You know since he uh since he had his injury. So I think that was a, a cool little thing for them to have. You know the first person he be back in the ring with officially was was Stone Cold. I think that was a cool little uh cool little moment right there. Yeah, because obviously him and Austin go at it, don't they? I thought the crowd was going to absolutely explode when they actually started going at it, but they, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, they 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 definitely were uh were quiet, and then who, who, who followed? Uh, it was hurt, hurt, hurricane. Yeah, hurricane followed them out, and uh, like the, uh, one of the people I was like really like, it was cool to see was uh, Mister Perfect. It, it was cool. Yes. It was cool. Oh it, yeah, it, it was yes. cool to see him, man. Like one one spot that I really liked, um, and it, it, it just seemed like something that he would do just in his like, you know, d- just for him. Uh, when Austin and H were trying to eliminate him, this dude oh, spit his gum, spit his gum, and then swatted it out into the crowd. I was yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 it was yeah because that was his normal spot right he'd take the gun and and whack it 
before um, his matches, and then he does it. <laughs> oh, that was great, man. Mr. Perfect was an MVP of this match, and as far as I'm concerned, man. He was um, – and it's so surreal to see him interact with, like, Kurt Angle and stuff mm. like that. You, you, you forget that was a very brief moment in time where those guys cross paths with each other, him. And then also like Rob Van Dam. Like when I think about Mr. Perfect, I do not think about Kurt Angle. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't think about Rob Van Dam. I, I think about, you know, him being a, a era before there. And it's like, you know, um, what Mr. I don't know what Mr. Perfect could have been. I know he had issues during that time, but I mean, my God, this was such a fantastic, you know, for a last, like big big thing for WWE. This is a great thing to kind of um, put a bow on his career. I, I don't even remember those some Sunday Night Heat matches and crap, you know. But um, this match right here, I thought was just him at his best. Now that, that that's a, that's a good point that you mentioned, Chris. Like, well, normally when I think of Mr. Perfect, I, I didn't necessarily think of him, you know, being in the ring with Austin and and Triple H and and, and Kurt Angle when they were in there prime years per se in wwe and uh yeah man he, he, he you you could tell he, he held his own he, it was a special thing for him to be in that final four so i think that was a you know a real a real nice spot when, when did he pass away uh 2003 damn that right. was the, yeah that was the following year yeah so yeah i think they uh he, he had a match with brock uh, in january as well but then I think oh they, yeah they got rid of him because it was that was it that plane ride from hell that it was done mm-hmm. in, in May um, from London to New York after the Interaction pay-per-view? And then uh, all kinds of shenanigans. And then I think Mr. Perfect allegedly sort of like was challenging Brock Lesnar to an amateur wrestling match on in the middle of this flight and things like that. <laughs> right. Got all going around chopping people's hair off and things like that. So, yeah, it sounds... Uh, I think they must have got rid of him after that. But, yeah, it was good when him coming back at the Rumble here and then having that sort of like... You know, brief little. It goes back to what I was saying before. Those sort of like nostalgia pots that they were going down through in 2002. But um, yeah, you mentioned RVD there. I forgot how over he was. I mean, the crowd goes insane on his entrance and oh, yeah. for all of his offense and things like that. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, I used to love RVD around this time period. Obviously, Triple H goes on to win, doesn't he? Uh, eliminating Angle last and then going to face Jericho at WrestleMania. Um, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts of, of this as a rumble. Where does it sort of like stand up um, with all the other rumble matches, Andrew? Would you say? I I think this is probably one of my favorites. I wouldn't say it's number one. Like I, I would have to like go through a couple of them to see. Like I got a couple in mind that kind of stand out as far as being that number one spot. But I definitely think this one is up there. It was like it's in terms of being well booked. I definitely think that's that that's that's very it, it's very up there. Like they had the. The, the the some some of the big moments in the matches peaked at exactly when they were supposed to. I think they did a good job of like having Undertaker in there for a period of time because he was a big star and like him kind of being in there with the Mavens and you know the up the upcoming Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy who were already established but like were further you know reaching that uh, upper up echelon of superstardom in WWE. So yeah, I, I think this I think this match kind of peaked at all the right moments and it's definitely one of my uh one one, one of my favorite rumbles. What do you think, Chad? Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Like you had uh, Undertaker go on like a run of dominance, and then and then you had like Stone Cold pick up, and then he went on like a run of dominance. Like you had like you highlight the big stars in the match, 
uh, one thing that I didn't really like that much was was when RVD got eliminated. Like Triple H just hit him with a uh, pedigree. Like after like like RVD comes to the match and like he like does like a a frog splash like across the ring like immediately, and then like he gets some offense in, and then like like abruptly Triple H just hits him with a pedigree, and then Booker T makes his entrance and then this picks him up and tosses him out. Like I feel like he could have had like uh, a better elimination than that, but mm-hmm. but overall I thought like this is like a, a really entertaining Royal Rumble and like and then you have like Mr. Perfect and Kurt Angle and Triple H is the final three. You could have like imagined that, but it works still somehow. And like and then you have like that like triumphant moment at the end with Triple H winning and coming back from his injury and like main eventing WrestleMania. So I thought, like I thought, like this Rumble told a good story. What do you think, Chris? Um, yeah, it's the, it's in my top probably three. Um, now there are things I don't like about this Royal Rumble. This is the only Royal Rumble I've, that where they didn't have any surprise entrances. They announced all the entrances mm-hmm. before um, the pay per view. They even announced Kurt H- Angle and or not Kurt Angle, Kurt Henning and the Godfather and stuff are returning. Um, Triple H, they they made too big of a deal out of his return. I'm not a Triple H fan, so you know that's this is my own. But 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 they but I mean like he got that my sacrifice video before, and it, it was they didn't even use the my sacrifice because tri, because Triple H is too cool for Creed. They used um U two beautiful day when they showed his um his uh training and comeback and stuff and it was just um you know it it, it was what it was but you know I think for what the story they were trying to tell with him and Jericho having him win was the right decision. Would I have personally gone with it? No, but I thought that um, for the story that they were trying to tell, um, it was cool. And, you know, just again, seeing Kurt Hennig in there and seeing, um, you know, how good he did and just little fun tidbits there, here and there. The the Royal Rumble is um, a really hard match to mess up. So it amazes me that in recent years they have, like actively found ways to mess it up, but this was this is one of the better ones. Yeah, the rumbles are always one of my sort of like favorite matches, and um, obviously for me, nothing can ever beat '92. Just for like it was the first. <laughs> yeah, that that's my number one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And obviously, 2001's a cracker. Then we've had some decent ones. Well, I didn't I, I didn't remember much about this rumble at all, but going back and watching it, yeah, it was a. Um, it was quite fun, and it didn't drag. I didn't think. Say it's like the second. I read in some of the trivia that it's um, the second longest rumble of all time. So yeah, I mean, it didn't drag. What, 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 what's the What's the first for the up next game, Martin? Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll leave you to find that one out yourself, uh, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, an interesting year certainly. I think for WWE, obviously, have the brand split down. They Triple H everywhere as champion. Uh, they have get the F out and stuff, and then. Also, outside of WWE, we had a TNA starting up and a Ring of Honor starting up as well. So, a really interesting year, and um, certainly um, a year that we should go back and and look at look at more of. I feel, Andrew. But um, just everyone's sort of like final thoughts about the show, and then just the 2002 in wrestling. There, we'll start with you, Chad. I, I feel like this Triple H. I feel like the MSG return and this Royal Rumble win. I feel like this kind of like 
influenced WWE to put like too much stock in how big of a star that Triple H was. Because like you hear that MSG reaction, and you hear the reaction of the crowd, and you think like he's like on par with with The Rock and Stone Cold. Yeah. And I think he was he's always been like a tier below them. But like you see for the next few years that they try to like push like Triple H as like on the same level as them and like and as you can see with like ratings and just like people people's general interest in the product that just like dips when that happens. So I think this is kinda like fool's gold in a sense. Like I think people are excited. Like Triple H is a big star, obviously, but like I feel like these these few weeks from MSG to Royal Rumble like made WWE like have like an inflated sense of Triple H's worth at that point. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Chad. I think yeah, and also obviously in politics in politics in backstage obviously helps him a great deal. But yeah, I think I feel like uh, Chad's on something there, uh, Andrew. With um, you know Triple H getting that monster pop there, and and I'm thinking that you know maybe. He was going to be the guy to take him, you know, into the next few years. If, 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 that, if that's all it takes for them to uh, for them to fully push somebody, they they could have pushed a handful of dudes. Like I remember, um, and we specifically <laughs> talking about we specifically talking about Royal Rumbles. I think we all remember um that that big pop that uh Sean Spears got in 2017 when the when, oh, it, when the, the entire yeah. crowd was literally waiting for this dude to come out. Mm-hmm. And, and then he he had that massive pop, but uh no nah, no nah, man all seriousness um yeah I I think Chad is kind of spot on with the Triple H thing I always think I like and and that's not the first time that I've like I, I've heard that quite a few times about people think like have that same line of thinking about Triple H like he wasn't like WWE tried their best to put him on par with the Rock and the Stone Colds like but it, it was more so of a now you don't call it force because I think Triple H did have, you know, he did have his fans, but like I feel like with Austin and Rocket was just so much more of a natural progression opposed to Triple H, where it was more manufactured. And, right. And, and, and yeah, so but yeah, Triple H, he, he he's had a uh, he, he carved out a, a a a nice career for himself. So I mean, like I like at this point, it's like you know whatever. Like he like he he already you know then went off and you know he started the next T and like it you know I think people kind of place him as that. The, the next follow up to Vince McMahon in terms of running the company from a creative aspect. So, yeah, but I, but I, I definitely think Chad is on point with saying that his 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 run was manufactured by WWE opposed to some of the other stars they had. Where it was just the fans willing them on. There you go, ahead, Chris. So yeah, um, I thought this Royal I I I, I I'm, McMahon in that flare match. I I've never liked it when the McMahons like are hanging with the wrestlers. I just, I just think it's a a little kind of disrespectful if um, you're, you know, you guys are the owners and then, you know, Shane doing his little van Terminator and crap. And (laughs) and then um, if, if, if Ric Flair is like, you know, I know McMahon was um, definitely not on steroids at all. um, (laughs) But um, if he's, um, if he's, you know, the, the owner of the company, everything he should be doing to Ric Flair in that match should be nefarious. And I thought that he was just, he was just going blow for blow f- with him. And I didn't like that. But the the pay-per-view itself, I give it like a B um, plus, you know. Like I said, I think this pay-per-view is just one of those pay-per-views that you actively tr- got to try to, 
like troll people, like where where you don't where you you know have like Roman Reigns win over Daniel Bryan or something like that. It's like you have to you have to go out of your way to make a bad Royal Rumble pay per view, and this this is before they started doing that. And um, I'm I also got to thank uh, Andrew and you two Martin for bring it because I really thought that a lot of people like me when I'm on these horrible shows, I guess they like my reactions to horribleness. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'm glad I'm, that I was on for a good show. Um, Cause I really, you know, I, like my blood pressure can only take so much horrible wrestling. <laughs> no, obviously. Thanks. Big thanks to you, Chris and Chad for coming on the show. But before we get out of here, um, what plugs have we, have we got? We'll start with you, Andrew. Uh, we, 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 Martin, both, both you and I, I think we got the uh, the up next uh, game tomorrow. Uh, that's with uh, Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. They're hosting their uh, thirty person uh, tri- big trivia game, and it's in a Royal Rumble style. And of course, it's rigged because they got me at number one, and they're gonna ask me uh, some question from nineteen eighty nine that I have no <laughs> clue about about the Royal Rumble, and I'm, I'm gonna get put out. So I, I'm I'm preparing for that. So I, I just want to let everybody know that. <laughs> If, if I get thrown out, I got cheated, and that's all I got to say. But uh, no, nah, man, all seriousness, I'm looking forward to that. Um, it's gonna be a good time, and it's all it always is. So shout out to them dudes. But yeah, man, they could uh, follow me on Twitter at Thompson underscore underscore, and uh, check out the Andrew Thompson interviews YouTube channel. Chad, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Chad Gelfin, C H A D G E L F A N D, and uh, you can check me out the Wrestling Estate and. Daily DT at Fansided. And uh, we have a Royal Rumble roundtable dropping Friday at uh, the Wrestling Estate, so check that out. Yeah, definitely will. And, and Chris, what you, what's uh, some people where, people where people can check more out from you? Um, so right now, my uh, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I want my podcast to be. You know, I, I overthink things a lot. That's one of the um, drawbacks of all, the, all these years of schooling. You just kind of you know, you, you doubt yourself a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. But um, you can find me on um, Twitter at KMEZ does it. And, you know, I don't have the app on my phone, but I do, you know, check it periodically. So, um, yeah, just just get at me. And uh, me and Ben will be back with the British Wrestling Experience the second Thursday of February. And uh, Andrew, like you know it earlier, I'll see you on the Up Next Rumble show. Lots of, <laughs> lots of big talks lying around, mate, by you and everyone else. So I think the time for talks over now. It's uh, it's action speaking louder than words on that one. I, I will have to uh, do do a little bit of studying because I this is the only Royal Rumble that I've watched, so I'm not prepared in the slightest. So yeah, uh, I, I I I have to get past. Uh, the the number one spot. Once I do that, then you know I can take my L gracefully. But uh, yeah. Uh, what what one one quick thing before we wrap it up? Since the Royal Rumble is like legit this weekend, uh, just a quick uh note to everybody. Uh, or quick quick guesses from everybody who they think is gonna win the men's and women's Royal Rumble matches. Just two quick names that you could throw off uh the top of your head for the women. Uh, I'm 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 a I'm a roll with Alexa Bliss, and for the men, I'm gonna say Biggie. What about you, Chad? I'm for the women. I'm gonna go with. Bianca Belair, and then for the men, I'm going to go Big E. Mm. Any, any thoughts, Chris, about the current crop of talents in the Royal Rumble that you can uh, come off the top of your head? 
Yeah, for the women, I'm just gonna go. Um, for the let me go for the men first. For the men, I'm gonna go with Bobby Lashley. Mm. Um, for the women, I'm gonna go with. Uh, mm. Bailey. She's not the champ right now, right? Mm-mm. Okay, Bailey. Yeah. What about you, Martin? Okay, I think Bianca Belair is a really good shout for the women's rumble. That could do a lot for her. <gasps> um, it'd be good to see Big E, but is Daniel Bryan, is he in the rumble this year? Yeah, that Bryan is in the rumble. Ooh, that's, a, that's a great is. story, too. Yeah. yeah. Reigns and Bryan at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. Do you, like the... you think they're going to do Rock and um, Roman Reigns at um, the Dallas one? Probably. I think. I think yeah. Los Angeles. Like, mm. Los yeah, Angeles you, you, after. The, 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 the only thing they, I could... Might say the, that for then. the only thing I could see, like, going against that is maybe they don't want to wait a whole other two years for them to get to that rock and Roman program. And, and it, it ain't no telling how people might be reacting to Roman Reigns two years from now. It could be completely different. Like, the crowds could be back and they might, you know, they might flip the script on you and then, you know, you got to change the whole thing around. You just never know. So I, I think that they'll probably go the Dallas route. Um, yeah, with Bianca Belair, I definitely think that's a good shot. I, I think that's what I want to happen. I want Bianca Belair to win, but like my mind is telling me they're probably going to give it to Bliss. So, yeah, that's just a quick little note right there. And of course, all your uh, Rumble coverage, postwrestling.com. And, uh, yeah, thanks again to Chris and Chad, and uh, we'll catch you next time. 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 